power on. Hey, if you have a project that needs reliable cryptocurrency data, check out blocktap.io. Blocktap.io is a universal cryptocurrency API. You can get historical prices for Bitcoin and other digital assets that you can use to build charts and do market analysis. Blockchain data is also indexed, so you can get transaction statistics, address balances, and more for Bitcoin and other networks. Blocktap.io is free for personal use, and you don't even need to create an account to access the API. To get started, try some of the example queries on the homepage at Blocktap.io. Again, that's B-L-O-C-K-T-A-P.io, Blocktap.io, and we thank them for sponsoring Sovereign Tech. Woo, let's get back to the show. Accessing historical database. Year 2020. The tech giants become aware of the greatest threat to their corporatist domination. An obscure science and tech podcast becomes a major factor in a peaceful open source revolt against the military Silicon Valley industrial complex. The podcast, Sovereign Tech. Its host, Dr. Brian Sovereign. The tech giants try to stop Sovereign Tech. They can't. Here I am on my birthday. This is how much I care about you people. <laughs> I'm here on my birthday. Recording Woo, some sovereign tech for you, baby. Um, got a lot of great wishes in the Telegram group. Thank you, and and privately on Telegram as well. Uh, really honored by that. I appreciate it. Uh, and some DMs on Twitter as well. Thank you. So the the Golden Stallion, the Man of Tomorrow, Savzu, the Radar, Radio Star, here for you, baby. Uh, and we have a few different things. This show, this episode, ended up taking a little bit of different shape. Than I originally expected some, uh, I mean, just as I, frankly, just as I was about to record, uh, some, some varying news dropped that I think is worthwhile to talk about now, you know, sovereign tech is a show all about science and technology and maybe how you can stay fucking human throughout all of this. Um, and that's an important thing to discuss. But, uh, and I don't like to, I, I don't like it to be t totally current events, right? Because especially when you get into matters of cybersecurity and so on, I mean, things just change by the, by the nano, you know, I mean, they just change instantly. So being current events, especially when you're only a weekly show, more or less. Yeah, that, you know, you, you get into some, you get into territory where you can be frankly irrelevant by the time you get the show released. So I don't like to be so current events, but when things change, we cover them and we talk about them. And I, I like to think that anything 
that we bring to the table, even if it is current events, is something that has evergreen uh, uh, ramifications. So even if it's around a current event, it's something that lasts. It's, it's, it's information that you can walk away with that will have meaning for, well, hopefully more than five minutes. Granted, is that the kind of information people really seem to want? Uh, no. And, and I got to admit, there's a huge conversation to be had around that. You know, I mean, yes, we have our moments and we've had recent episodes where, you know, we will take a tweet and, you know, do a full breakdown of what is usually sub 240 characters, which is a problem in itself. But, you know, I mean, most people go through their day, I think, uh, based upon what did they learn five minutes ago, but then it, it, every action is based upon information that they received five minutes ago. And it's often information that like we were just saying in and of itself is not evergreen. It's stuff that changes by the second. And so you have people, I think today who have no, well, for lack of a better phrase, they have no real long-term memory and they have no real long-term goal. Everything is short-term, short-term right now. What's happening right now. I have to respond to this hashtag. Um, I have to be in on this hashtag right away. Hashtags are my fucking life instead of people actually living what the hashtag could possibly even be about. So this is a, like I said, this is a different episode. We're going to get into a couple things. Okay. Um, for the foreplay, what I'm going to do is for the foreplay, I'm going to get into my review. And like I just said about how you're going to walk away with something evergreen. Okay. We, you know, we have new devices coming out every goddamn second and it's annoying as hell. And, and actually the device I'm going to do a little review of, uh, is to actually thwart, uh, that, that notion of getting a new device every few, you know, every, every five minutes, you know, maybe that's a great term to, to start using on sovereign tech. We live in a five minute world, you know, where, where things only matter for five minutes. You know, when you live in a world where, where marketers, and PR specialists operate under the assumption that you have the attention span of, you know, five seconds, right? Like on YouTube, you know, you only have, you have five seconds to hook somebody, you know, operating under those auspices. Wow. Are we fucked as a species? But, uh, along with, with this review, this device review that we'll get in during the foreplay, where usually we talk about all the little stories. There's a little story we'll talk about during it that I think is still relevant. Um, we, we won't get into a bunch of little stories on that. Then we're going to get into our main story, which the main story has actually is, is something that just dropped today, which has to do with telegram. And the fact that they are backpedaling and canceling all kinds of projects, we will talk about that. Then we'll get into a little bit of hack sec and we're going to talk about, well, concerns around face masks and how maybe thwarting facial recognition software actually isn't all that possible, but we'll, we'll break that down. And then we're going to do something very special for the rest of the show. And I will provide commentary before and after. Okay. But I am going to hand over, do something that I rarely ever do on this show. 
And the the names that I have allowed to to uh, you know to speak effective essentially on this show in place of me, it, you can count them on one hand. Okay, they include the likes of, of course, Carl Sagan, Buckminster Fuller, Doctor Paul Stamets, Doctor Paul Stamets, not not that bullshit Star Trek Discovery, the the real scientist. Okay. Uh, among a few others, it, it, it's a, it's a very short list that I allow for that because you're, you're taking up some prime real estate, baby, but we will hear from my, and Hey, it's my birthday episode. I can do whatever the fuck I want, <laughs> right? We are going to hear from, because I, I don't know what I'm going to do come June 28th this year. Uh, but we will hear from my uh, uh, mentor, hero, and dear friend, uh, the departed Harlan Ellison, who died two years ago, almost on uh, June 28th, 2018, which I did a whole episode in dedication to him then, but he was on, it'll, you'll hear from it. And it's from 1978. And it's an interview that he did, uh, on Tom Snyder's tomorrow show. But I think it speaks to today in many ways. And so I want to play it. But we'll talk more about that when we get there. Okay. But I will gladly give both of those gentlemen airtime uh, and let them take over Sovereign Tech if they, I mean, and of course they both passed, but uh, with absolute honor, uh, I, I, I would let them, uh, you know, do whatever the hell they wanted to do on Sovereign Tech. And I guarantee you it's relevant, but we'll talk about that. So anyway, let's get into uh, the foreplay, which again is going to be one little story and then get into a review. So I mentioned this a couple episodes ago on Sovereign Tech. I brought this up because I believe this is from May 6th, so pretty fresh uh, on tw- uh, 2020. Uh, particularly, I'm reading from 9 to 5 Mac, and it's how to manage COVID-19 exposure notifications on iPhone. Um, now, Apparently there's been a little bit of an update because actually this, this came out before May 6th. Um, but here we go. This is in reference to the contact tracing, which uh, I have said on this show, you better add that term to your lexicon, to your personal lexicon, because watch out for this because it's just a bad idea and it's going to be abused. And it's, it's probably already being abused. I mean, because it's not just something getting implemented by Apple and Google, though they're the ones that everybody's claim or that many are claiming, even though, uh, as I think I referenced in last week's episode, Bruce Schneier did a tremendous blog post about the matter saying, no, no, this is, this is a bad idea. This, this, this can't possibly be worthwhile. And we also talked about how even, uh, the majority of, uh, people in the United States agreed that, or felt that no, this isn't going to do anything. This, this, this isn't helpful at all. Okay. Um, but anyway, Apple and Google, of course, you know, they are implement, they are baking this into iOS and Android. Uh, and it got particularly problematic when Apple decided that they were going to make it a opt out instead of a opt in feature to have contact tracing turn on. Now they specifically call it COVID-19 exposure logging. Um, I'm going to read a little bit here from nine to five Mac. 
And yes, this should bother you, but you're going to have the link on how to turn this off, but let's do it. Uh, so Apple and Google have partnered on offering a secure and private uh, uh, coronavirus contact tracing implementation on iOS and Android. Follow along for where to find the on-off toggle for COVID-19 contact tracing on iPhone in iOS settings. Uh, and they had an update here for from May 6th. Apple has redesigned the iOS settings portion for exposure notifications that gives users more clarity on the feature. The toggle is now turned off by default and needs an authorized app to turn the feature on with user permission. So here's the thing. So I'm talking about this to update is that originally it was, it was opt. And when we first talked about it and I have the story and the screenshots from when initially this was an opt out feature, meaning that you had to, it was going to be automatically toggled on when the update for iOS 13.5, which right now it's on 13.4.1, right? When the update for 13.5 um, came out, it, when they first announced or when they were looking at the beta and everything, they first announced it, they had said that, okay, you're going to have to turn the toggle off, not on, which is how it should be for any feature of this type. Now they're saying, oh, well, you know what? We're going to leave it off, but you're going to, you know, and, and for it to turn on, you're going to have to install an app that turns it on in the first place. And then it's going to ask you anyway, which would fit in with Steve Jobs, his uh, uh, perspective. And I think we've played this audio in the past on Sovereign Tech where Steve Jobs made it very clear that when it comes to issues of uh, privacy and security, you need to bug, not, not bug as in like track or as it like be a bug instead of a feature, but you need to, you need to uh, alert, inform, and even be a nuisance. And I agree with him, be a nuisance about the fact that something is going could potentially infringe on your privacy, some software feature, some app, whatever is going to infringe on you. And this was, you know, the, I mean, he was abundantly clear about this and very passionate about it. And I completely agree with him on that. I mean, there's points where I don't agree with him, but this is one where I completely agree with him. You know, you've got to explain it to people. Even if the, even if it's a bunch of muprons, you've got to explain it to them. Okay. And so this fits in what they're doing with 13.5 now where it's going to be uh, an opt in feature is, I mean, that, that that's, that's really the way to go. Okay. Um, and it does only use Bluetooth. Okay. It does not apparently does not use GPS, but it does only use Bluetooth. Um, I mean, I got to give, I actually, I got to give iOS a lot of credit. Um, iOS does a great job of, and, and this will get into my review because I recently uh, acquired a, Seventh generation iPod touch. It's the 256 gig model. Uh, obviously I got to use, um, these things cost <laughs> for, for what it is. I think in most people's minds, especially the 256 gig model for a lot of people, you know, would be, I mean, you know, you're talking like 400 bucks. Uh, and for a lot of people, since it's not a phone, you know, that, that would be seen as probably ridiculous to them since most people won't even pay $400 for a phone. And I, I understand why. Okay. Uh, I, I am far from made of money either. <laughs> okay. I get it. Uh, but regardless, um, this is the latest model and it's from like, they, they initially announced this in May, 2019. So why don't we go ahead and talk about this? Uh, you know, the, the contact tracing thing. I mean, part of the reason that I got this was I wanted to be able to see for myself on iOS's side, 
what this is going to look like. I did not want to rely on other journalists, other podcasts, or anything like that. I want to do independent investigation because I think we're to the point that I need to do that because I don't know how many other people are really, you know, willing to discuss particularly the ethics of, you know, the ethical ramifications of a lot of these things, especially in the unique times. And I do think we can use the word unique, the unique times that we live in right now. So the 2019 or the seventh generation iPod touch, the latest, this is latest and greatest Apple hardware. Okay. I mean, it's not the same processor and everything that's in the, um, you know, that that's say in the iPhone 11 up your ass, whatever, you know, whatever that is. Uh, but it is otherwise, I mean, this is, this is a latest gen product. Um, now I said earlier, Okay. So we want, let, let's go ahead and get into, into our uh, review. Um, as far as the contact tracing thing, I mean, that, that might be how, let me just say this. Okay. To comment on that quick, that might be how they started off. And did, did I, I didn't even get into the GPS thing. All right, let me finish those two points. Okay. It might start off as, and I, and I'm glad they changed their mind. Okay. That it's and and this is just at one part of the beta when 13, five actually comes out, they might change their mind again. And it goes back to where it is um, opt out instead of opt in. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that that's that way, but it's only that way now. And because all of these things are basically, you know, soft switches where it's something done within the software and it's not a hard switch that you can actually like cut off. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's just a matter of time before it becomes some kind of national emergency. And we know, you know, uh, slap nuts and chief big orange when he announced the state of national emergency due to COVID-19 was the end of March. When he announced that he made it abundantly clear. He's like, yeah, we're, 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 we're circumventing a lot of laws. I mean, th those are basically his exact words is that this is going to allow us to get past a ton of red tape. We don't have to deal with these laws because it, it's a state of national emergency. Um, that's all it takes to basically make any of these kinds of settings and new quote unquote features, even though I'd call them bugs like uh, COVID, like contact tracing, uh, you know, to just be turned on. And we know that that's possible too on both iOS and Android, where th these things can be turned on uh, by Apple or Google themselves remotely. Okay. Especially Bluetooth. Um, I mean, now they say it's not using GPS. And what I was going to say was I have to, I applaud Apple on that. They really show you, you know, a little icon at, at the top. Okay. The top, right. They show you when the GPS is in use. And in fact, they show you like it's the little arrow and it can either be filled in or not filled in. And it's basically telling you two different ways in which the GPS uh, might be, might be getting used. And, you know, I really, I, I respect that. Okay. And I, and I think there's actually ways to do that with Android as well, but I respect that that's default on iOS. So, you know, if your GPS is in action on it. Okay. So anyway, I got this device. Um, and I mentioned earlier about wanting a device where I'm not worried. Oh, geez. Do I have the latest and greatest or don't I, um, while this might change for the seventh generation iPod touch or for the iPod touch line. The last time, again, this came out, this, this is the newest model came out in May, 2019. Do you want to know when the last model, the sixth generation iPod touch came out 2015, 
four years between generations. Now I like that because there's really, and you know, it's fucking true. There is no good reason. There's no really good reason other than to appease investors has nothing about pleasing consumers because if you want to please consumers, Oh, I don't know, maybe future proof your fucking products. Uh, and don't, you know, don't, don't try to make everybody salivate over getting the latest model and spending another thousand dollars or getting hooked into some weird loan program, uh, from these, from Samsung or, you know, or Apple or whoever every single year. How about that? Right. But they don't do that. Uh, so now there's the chance because we talked about when, when the 2019 iPod touch came out. We talked about how, what, you know, what is the purpose here? The purpose here is to have a device really for kids. And we talked about last week about the iPod touching kids and, and, and how that relates to uh, adults and their security. Right. But really this is a device basically meant for, for young people. Okay. So that they can get hooked into Apple's ecosystem, be it Apple TV. I mean, you know, Apple arcade, all of that. That's the real purpose here. Okay. And I understand that, but I am repurposing it, of course, for my own purposes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so the 2019 iPod touch, I mean, it, it's got, I think they, they clock down the, the processor to where, where it's only two cores instead of four. Um, the battery life, boy, the battery life is a funny thing on, on these devices, but let's just say the battery life is actually really good and it gets me through, um, all day. It has a, uh, a four inch screen. I mean, you can look up, I have a link in the show notes. You can look at all the very specific tech, uh, tech specs about it. Um, does not use USB-C. It is a lightning cable, which, you know, that kind of sucks, but then really Apple's only started implementing, uh, USB-C in their latest, latest, latest pro uh, products, particularly with iPads. Uh, ba very basic camera. It's not the stupid triple camera setup, which means absolutely nothing to the everyday consumer. Um, you know, and uh, up front, uh, I think I mentioned some of this last week or in the week previous, uh, it doesn't even have like a light sensor, which I think is great. Um, no biometrics whatsoever on this. If you want to log into this thing, you, you have to use a pin code if you want to lock it down. And I think that's fucking great because we talk about all the time. And certainly this will be a conversation uh, in this episode as well about how biometrics really just don't work. Okay. Uh, they are not genuinely secure, partly because they can lock a user out. Uh, well, anyway, the, we've had conversations around biometrics. We're not going to recover that ground here. I want to talk more about this. Okay. Uh, the first real winner here. Now, obviously the craftsmanship and design. Yeah, it's gorgeous. I'm, I'm not, not even going to argue about that. Right. That's true of Apple products across the board. Um, I get that. Now I am for new listeners, perhaps that have never heard this before. Uh, I mean, I use Android as my daily driver. Okay. Um, and much of what I'm using this iPod touch for other than just being, you know, up to snuff with the latest in iOS, uh, because this does, again, this is a latest gen device. This gets the latest and greatest iOS updates. That was an important thing for me, uh, you know, to, to have access to. But what I really want to do with this thing, I mean, I've done with, with old Android phones as well. Um, I mean, it's a little more than just a glorified MP3 player. We'll talk about that as I discuss it. But yeah, I mean, that's certainly a direction I was going. 
um, with it, which again, I've talked about on Sovereign Tech, even throughout 2019 of doing where you could just take an old phone. And, you know, if you are concerned about the way that smartphones are tracking you, particularly when it comes into things like contact tracing, uh, there's ways to start to resolve that. Uh, but, you know, one of the main issues, right, with say you want to get away from your smartphone for varying reasons, contact tracing, uh, you know, really like smartphone addiction, which I think is an absolutely real thing. Um, or just, you know, trying to keep your sanity by not getting a million notifications. Now, it, you know, anyway, part of, uh, we'll talk about notifications in a second. You can just as easily admittedly now, uh, especially with Android, Android has done such a solid job of giving you control over notifications that you get. You know, you can turn off notifications for specific apps, but I think even if you have the apps installed, say Slack or I don't know, whatever, or, you know, just the fact like SMS and phone, um, you know, you can be constantly mentally interrupted and even just having the apps alone kind of makes you want to look at them. Right. And you know, like they're there, Oh, there's that on my screen or whatever. And I mean, there's a lot we've talked many times and you can go back to previous episodes. We've talked many times of how to try and manage, um, because I mean, let's be clear here. You do have to manage, you do, do some behavioral management on yourself because Silicon Valley companies are absolutely engaging in behavioral psychology against you. Right. I mean, they, they really are. They're, they're trying to puppeteer you with, you know, the, the little red number. I mean, all, all kinds of different things. And we have people, you know, there are plenty of individuals who worked for these very app companies who have come out and warned you over the past few years that, Hey, this is exactly what we're doing. Uh, Facebook hired, you know, companies that, that worked in Las Vegas to keep people gambling and all that, to, to make you like constantly look at their app, blah, blah, blah. I mean, they absolutely do behavioral testing on you. So you have to engage in some uh, behavioral changes and tricks to, you know, bat back what Silicon Valley is trying to schlep upon you. Right. So, the problem is, right, is that your smartphone also happens to be, in many ways, your main entertainment device. Even if you're not somebody that watches Netflix and or YouTube or anything like that, right? Where do you listen to Audible? Where do you listen to this very podcast? Where do you listen to or where do you read your Kindle books? Where do you go down the list, right? This is a, you know, a major hub of entertainment. Even if you're somebody who, for lack of a better way of putting it, even if you're somebody that's into more, shall we say, intellectual pursuits, it still is. Okay. So I think having the separate device that separates your communication from your entertainment or your edutainment or your education, whatever, however you want to look at it, is a very good, important, and almost, dare I say, necessary thing. And that's part of the reason, I mean, I could just as easily and, and, you know, probably for much cheaper, I could just as easily have gotten my hands on an iPhone that was still getting the latest iOS updates. Because again, to Apple's credit, they do support devices going back a few generations. I mean, and there's other reasons beyond security that they do that. I think they also do that to make it seem like the Apple ecosystem has more to its family than just two devices, right? <laughs> two, two phones or something, uh, you know, and, and try to compete with the, you know, the Android marketplace, which is just, just insane as far as devices. Okay. 
But regardless, um, I didn't want a phone. And I didn't want something that even had phone features. I didn't want something that could even pretend to be a phone. And I sure as fuck didn't want to have an eSIM in it. I wanted something that was basically dumb as a box of rocks as far as uh, radios go and antennas go. And that's what the iPod Touch is. And it, and frankly, it works very well for that. I'm going to say this outright. We've been talking for a little bit here, but let's do it. I mean, let's talk about it. I will say this outright. I really, really like this device. I don't love it as much as I love my Kindle Oasis. That is a passionate affair. <laughs> but I do. I really, really love this thing. That doesn't mean it doesn't have a metric butt ton of problems because it does. Okay. But I, I, I really, really like this thing. And the thing I'll admit, you know, just, just open room right up. The thing I actually like the most about the iPod touch. And this is also something that if I bought, you know, a more modern iPhone that I wouldn't have gotten. I love the size of it. I love that this thing's so goddamn small. So goddamn light. I even have it in an otter box. And it's still so fucking tiny. I barely know that it's in my pocket. It's remarkable. I love the four inch screen on it. I, I mean, that's just, that's great. And in fact, I know uh, other Sovereign Tech listeners who, because I talked about this during a climax about two episodes ago. And there were other Sovereign Tech listeners in my Telegram group who basically responded. One of them, in fact, he said he had an iPhone SE and that, you know, he'd been using it for a couple of years. And part of the reason he had it was, uh, the feature set, you know, in fact, here, I'll, I'll read, I'll read what, uh, what he had to say. So I just finished number 372, that being sovereign tech episode 372. And at the, and the bit at the end about I things, you know, as in iOS devices is spot on. I've got a, a an SE iPhone SE first edition. Cause they just came out with the new one, right? Which there's no point in even talking about it. And maybe we'll see why as we go through this review, uh, it's a daily driver after years of running cyanogen or lineage. I have it for two reasons. One, there is a cheap VoIP app that lets me run multiple numbers. I have, uh, I have calling and texting shut off on my SIM at the carrier and I use different numbers for different functions. Uh, the app is called my pseudo, by the way, M Y S U D O. Uh, anyway, so the other is that one of the only small it's, it is one of the only small phones that still gets factory security updates. I don't listen to music or podcasts from it, so I don't have those issues, but to get books I own, uh, onto it without using Apple's servers, I've restored, I've resorted to using an encrypted riot chat room and then opening them with FB reader. Holy shit. Uh, riot signal and telegram all seem to work well enough on it, but I don't have a tour browser and the keyboard sucks. Yeah. I will second that Apple's keyboard is shit. And I know a few years ago, Apple finally allowed for third-party keyboards. Um, but even like, you know, I would put swift key on this and it, it, yeah, that, that's where things get a little ugly. And it's not because the screen's small either. And I have giant man hands, which I do, but it has nothing. It really doesn't have to do with that. It's just a shitty keyboard. Um, I'm hoping let's see, or yeah, I have to make up a complete burner ID just to set it up or yeah, but I don't have a Tor browser and the keyboard sucks. I have to make up a complete burner ID just to set it up for the first time. Um, I'm hoping that I can get enough functionality out of a pine phone to be able to replace it. Even though the pine phone has a much bigger screen than I'd like, I can't find a small phone option anymore. Yeah. That's a big part of this is, is finding that small phone option. They, they just don't seem to, to really exist. I know there've been some smaller ones who, who was it? That was it Palm that came out with an Android phone that was really, really tiny, but then it was meant to be like a second phone and not a first phone R really stupid uh, on that end, frankly. But anyway, 
let's keep talking about this. Um, yeah, th this speaks to maybe the biggest negative I have about this thing. Okay. Is that local content, unless you get it through, like, I mean, I mean, I'm sure if you use Pandora, Spotify or something like that, and maybe you do offline music that way, um, you know, it works great. But like, if you have your own MP3s, your own video files, your own PDFs, your own comic book files, all this other kinds of stuff, um, getting it onto the, the I thing, <laughs> the iOS device is a pain in the ass. I mean, an absolute pain in the ass. You have to go through, or you more or less have to go through iTunes. I know there's tricks around all of this. I know there's jailbreaking. I know there's other things, but you know, out of the box, like Android just runs circles on file management, you know, and I get that it's a security. It can be considered a security feature. And I talked about this before. It can be considered a security feature on iOS, but it feels like something just made for the dum-dums. You know, if you have, and this is what I had said in episode 372, if you in any way, if your content, okay, what you, if what you consume exists outside of, um, the system as it were, you know, Netflix, Spotify, and all this other, I mean, iOS is, or at least an iPhone anyway, which again, an iPod touch is just an iPhone without the phone part. It's exactly the same damn thing. Okay. And it doesn't have NFC either which that kind of sucks as far as YubiKey go, keys go, even though I know there's solutions around that. But anyway, that sucks, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, and oh, and this this might be one of the biggest negatives, one of the biggest complaints you can make about the App Store. Now, I used to, years ago, I used to make fun of the App Store for not allowing farting apps because I thought that was just stupid. That's, that's such conservative horseshit. Uh, but then I guess they started allowing farting apps. And I, and look, I don't care about farting apps. I don't want to use one. I don't give a shit. I just think it's dumb when a company fucking bans them out of their app store. Give me a goddamn break. Anyway, you know, I mean that, that that's stupid. Right. And I don't really care about that, but no torrent apps, no torrent apps at all allowed. Uh, also, I think there, there's like red onion or something. There is a Tor browser of a type, but uh, I mean, when you have on Android where you can download it actually from the Tor project, or I mean, where you can, you know, where it's an app specifically made by the Tor project. I mean, that's brilliant. Uh, Apple might, I could see Apple changing their way, changing their ways about the Tor browser itself because Tor is heading in the direction of where, you know, it's becoming a, almost a consumer product, which I have no problem with. And I think that's great. Actually, uh, tails, the tails, Twitter account today had tweeted out that the, uh, what do they have? 30,000 daily users now for tails. That's, I mean, you think that's a small number. That's great. I mean, a lot of, a lot of little operating systems would, you know, would, would commit small, would commit felonies, <laughs> I think to get, to get that kind of user base, even just 30,000 users. Um, I, I thought that that was great, great news, you know, I mean, and Tor, of course, that number is even higher, but regardless, not having the Tor browser. Okay. I, I get that. And I think that Apple might change their mind on that. Just like, you know, when I was looking at, uh, at cryptocurrency, uh, wallets like Jack's wallet, there was a time where you couldn't get Zcash on there. Now you can, uh, so Apple will change their mind, but they're probably never going to change their mind about torrent apps. And that that's a real problem because I mean, it speaks to 
kind of the overall problem about, you know, it doesn't handle like the pain in the ass that you have to go through to get any kind of privately quote unquote owned, you know, local media, like your own MP3 files or something onto this device or your, you know, your private AVIs and whatever else. I mean, and, and VLC, yeah, VLC is available here. That, that, that's great. Uh, even though again, it's heavily, heavily neutered, like I'd mentioned previously. Um, but like the fact that there's no torrent apps available, that really speaks to, you know, Apple's goals. And I think that's incredibly limiting, incredibly limiting. Now, somebody might want to bring up to me that, well, you know, in the Google Play Store, they don't allow ad blockers. And at least uh, at least Apple allows ad blockers in the App Store. Well, but that speaks to the bread and butter, right? I mean, Google makes money off of ads. Okay. And Apple makes money off of, you know, off of hardware. They don't really make money. I mean, there's arguments to be made that they still do make money off of some kind of ads, but that that's another story. But Apple makes money off of the Apple tax by charging, you know, so much for their hardware and whatever else they have going on. So it, it speaks to, you know, these two weird uh, exclusions from both on both sides on Android and iOS speaks to where the real money is getting made. Okay. Um, but not having torrent apps, I, I frankly, I, I find that almost inexcusable and it almost made me like just toss this thing away because what the fuck? I mean, I like on Android, I absolutely use torrenting apps. I use ttorrent on Android because, you know, if I want to get a audiobook onto, uh, onto the device, I will, you know, I, I mean, I can go right to audiobookbay.nl and I can torrent down the audiobook, right? And right onto the device, I don't even have to bother with transferring at all. And that's the other thing too. Torrenting would solve a lot. Of, and I know I could, I could store it on cloud and whatever else, but fuck the cloud. <laughs> so, um, you know, torrenting just gives me quick access to so many things, you know, and, and it's, it's such a great option. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that, the, and oh man. Okay. So here's another thing. I know we're kind of going all, I actually have notes in front of me here to, to make sure I hit the, the high points on this review, but this is another thing. I don't know what it is. Now, if I listen to an audiobook in the Apple books app or on audible or on any official audiobook app where it's both the audiobook app uh, player and the store, audiobooks seem to play fine. But, and this is true actually for any media type, but any independent app, okay, that, that plays an audio file or even a video file where you can speed up the sound, there is some weird, like it sounds echoey. You know, if you, if you take, like, say you're listening to this podcast, if you're listening to it in Apple podcasts or even on pocket Casts or something like that, something a little more official, right? If you set it to two X, I still sound, I mean, I sound faster, but I still sound normal. Like my tone has not changed. Okay. And not really. And there's no like weird echoes or anything. It sounds fairly normal. That is not true for anything else on, on, on iPhone. And what's funny about that to me is that I have heard for years about how iOS can process audio better. And that's why you don't have people making music basically on Android uh, devices because, Oh, there's just something fucking special that iOS does. That's better than, I don't know, whatever the, the, 
<laughs> basically the Linux uh, sound drivers, which I know for decades, Linux has had problems with sound, but, um, or has, has had complexities with sound. Uh, my point being is that I see, I have no evidence whatsoever that somehow Apple handles sound or iOS handles sound better than Android because I use a smart audiobook player. I can think of a million VLC. I can think of a million at, or plenty of apps on Android that play the sound just fine. Even when it's sped up as to where on, um, you know, with, with iOS, not so to credit though, for the, and this is something else that was important to me. And another reason I got an iPod touch and not an iPhone, um, to credit the iPod touch, it does have, you know, one eighth inch Jack. It does have a headphone Jack. Great. Good. I'm glad. Uh, I, I guess in 2019, Apple wasn't feeling too courageous. You know, there wasn't that courage, uh, <laughs> even though they started yanking it out. Well, we told plenty of courage jokes on the show. We don't need to do so uh, here. Of course, the real reason is, is that again, it points at the demographic for this device, right? It's meant for kids and kids aren't going, they might get an expensive iPod touch, but I guess they're not going to get an expensive pair of Bluetooth headphones. Uh, you know, I, I suppose that's the deal here though. You can use Bluetooth headphones with it. And of course they work fine. Um, but yeah, that, that audio problem with audiobooks. I mean, they work and, and this is what's so weird is because they play beautifully and no sound issues whatsoever in audible and in the Apple books app, but you play it in anything else you're screwed. You know, you get that weird tinny sound and, and, and there's like a, a weird reverb and everything. And, and it's, it's it, not good. But while we're, while we're speaking of, I guess, apps in general, uh, one app that does handle sound very well. And that I, I, I almost, if, if, and here's the thing I have contacted Plex. Okay. In the past, I have a massive Plex library, right? I, I've, I, you know, I even, I, I have, I've had subscriptions to it and so on. Um, I've, I've tried reaching out to Plex customer service and it might as well not exist. And this is long before COVID-19. I don't want to hear that. That's an excuse. That's bullshit. I don't, every complaint that I have about the, about Plex mobile apps are non-existent on iOS. iOS handles Plex like a goddamn dream. It's like a Cadillac. I mean, it, it just, an old Cadillac, of course, you know, ones that could actually drive and were actually cars, not, not computers with wheels. Um, I mean, it, like the video playback is, is flawless, you know, no, no buffering issues whatsoever. Um, the UI for the music alone, somehow they got away with just having that smaller font. And I am able to actually see the entirety of a song track title, even if it's long or an album title, another albums search. I, I type in star Trek, right? Because I want to listen to my, I mean, and I have like 15 gigs worth of star Trek soundtracks. I'm not kidding. Okay. I want to find all my star Trek soundtracks. Now, when I put, when I, when I type this into Apple, or I mean, when I type this into uh, Android and uh, Plex on Android, it gives me a few suggestions, right? But it won't show me every album that I have. And there's no way to click or, or tap to show every album that I have as far as Star Trek goes, which would be myriad. But on iPhone or on iOS, oh yeah, no problem. Yep, here, just, just hit this little arrow and bam, there you go. It's amazing. Plex works stunningly. I mean, I almost would keep this device just to use Plex on it. It works so fucking well. And, uh, you know, it, and it works with Chromecast, right? So you can just 
stream it up to, you know, to, to whatever uh, your, your Chromecast is connected to boy, Apple's got to hate it that they didn't come up with that too, <laughs> that they didn't come up with Chromecast, man, they, they, they could have dominated if they had come up with that. Uh, hmm. Anyway. So yeah, Plex works. And I don't understand. I have no idea why Plex is so stable and why the UI is so perfect on iOS and they can't just mimic that on Android. It doesn't make any sense to me. And I'd ask them, but I know that it would fall on deaf ears. Um, so, all right, let, let's, let's see what else we've got here. Yeah. You know, and the, the sovereign tech listener brought this up to uh, the issue with like to, to just log into this device. Yeah. You literally have to come up with an entirely, you know, if you're not going to use your actual ID, you have to create an entire alternate person just to get to the, just to log into your device. You know, when you first get one, uh, that that's crazy, right? Like I, there's a lot of things as far as security goes that iOS does right. Uh, in fact, one of them, I like that by default, your iOS device instantly becomes a security token itself. I know Android does that now too, or can. Um, and I know Microsoft was really blazing the trail with that, with their authenticator app. But the fact that, you know, you get like a, a separate uh, token code and everything like I, I thought, I think that's so basically if you are on a browser on your desktop or something and you log into iCloud, right. To use pages or look at your, you know, your iCloud email or whatever. Um, you know, it will send a notification to your iOS devices saying, Hey, someone's trying to log in here, here, here. You have to put in this code, blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's great, right? Because it's alerting you one, two, if it say it was somebody trying to crack into your, your iCloud account, um, you know, they'd have to see, and it has to be on an iOS device. They'd have to see that six digit code to put in. So it can't really be done remotely. I mean, that's, that's a very, very nice security move. I appreciate that. That, that kind of security is good, but the security of identity of verifying who you are as in through like government fed information and a whole bunch of other horseshit. No, that that's not really security, right? Cause security and privacy are kissing cousins and you really can't have one without the other. And so, yeah, that part I did not like. Um, I do like that you can get a free iCloud account, you know, not to say that somehow that email is any more private than, than a Gmail account, because it's probably stored on Google servers anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's kind of a handy thing, you know, and you have that iCloud account forever, even if you end up selling all of your iOS devices for, uh, for whatever reason, I mean, iCloud itself, here, let's talk about this for a second. So the Apple apps on an iOS device, again, are, are fantastic. Pages is great on an iOS device on desktop, a little bit of a different story, but on, on it for, for mobile, they really live up to the hype. Um, I think Safari on mobile is great. Uh, again, Apple books. No, I mean, you're not just not, you're not going to compete with Kindle and audible. Like, I mean, the, the, you're trying and you look good, but it's not working. Um, iMovie is fantastic. Uh, garage band is fantastic. Pages obviously is, is really, really slick. Um, I mean, you go down the list of Apple apps. Now, Apple, they bought out dark sky, right? The weather app. I mean, all of these things, really do a, I mean, they, they are, they are top of their game, uh, you know, as far as mobile goes. Okay. Um, now to, to, you can access some of these through a web browser on any computer, Linux or otherwise, or, you know, Microsoft, whatever, uh, actually don't, don't install the iCloud software (laughs) on windows. It, It looks like it's like 10 years old. 
And usually that's not a bad thing, but I mean, it's, it's literally missing entire features that would make it worthwhile. What, what a fucking waste. Um, anyway, but the, the price they charge for storage on iCloud is just preposterous. You know, I mean, you've got to be an absolute Apple lover to want to go with that. I, I just don't grasp it. Uh, now Apple podcasts. Now this was interesting looking at this. Okay. Because this is the app that you can really only get on an iOS device or more or less on an iOS device. I know they separate it and you can get it on a Mac, on a MacBook. But anyway, um, I was, when I looked up sovereign tech on there, um, I noticed some very weird things, the way that iTunes registers or that the Apple podcast registers, uh, some episode information for sovereign tech. And so that, that I'll admit that was very helpful for me. Um, I mean, it's bare bones, right? I don't know who the hell would just use Apple podcasts, but apparently most people do. Most podcast listeners just use Apple podcasts. I find that very hard to believe because it's not, it's really, I mean, it's bare bones, but it's not intuitive. It's, it's fine. It's, but compared to other podcast apps, I should say it's not intuitive. Okay. So I find that to be very, you know, I, I I'm, I'm in awe that, and maybe that just kind of speaks to the average. And look, I know, I mean, I open up saying, look, I love this device. Okay. Even though it has problems, I really like it. I know I have brilliant listeners who use iOS devices, who use iPhones. Okay. Even one who he uses it and he doesn't like it, <laughs> you know, but, <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, you know, so I'm not insulting every iPhone user, obviously. I mean, there's all, you know, Matthew Green. I mean, there's, there's plenty of brilliant people, even in my field who use iPhones. Okay. Clearly I'm not calling those people idiots, but you know, it's abundantly clear that some of this stuff, some of these apps and some of the, the ideas baked into iOS really speak to perhaps the demographic, the mentality of the demographic that Apple is looking to garner, right? Because a lot of it is, tr it seems to be trying to be idiot proof. I mean, I, I guess, you know, it's tyranny of the default. Like, so the Apple podcast app is there. And so people are just, oh, like, oh, yes, I'll just use this. I mean, there's some interesting features that other podcast apps or is, is rare for other podcast apps to have, like where you can actually search apparently the speech of what people say and, and it will come up, you know, and, and, and that does seem to work to some degree um, that that's a little interesting that that's out there and that that's into, that's a very advanced feature, frankly, for Apple podcasts or for such a simple podcast app, I should say. Um, but that, that was interesting. Like some episodes of Sovereign Tech showed up as seasons. And I went back and fixed it. Unfortunately, you can go into the podcast portal for Apple and you can refresh it. And then, you know, it shows up normally. Um, it numbers all of the episodes. Like it doesn't base it on my numbering. It bases it on just how many there are. And like Sovereign Tech is actually, if I were to count every show I've ever done, Sovereign Tech is up to this. This episode you're listening to now would be 930. So even though with Sovereign Tech, we're, we're going to be coming up to episode 400 inside of 25, ep you know, inside of 25 or so episodes. Technically, I've done a thousand podcasts. Now for podcasting for about a decade, even that's pretty damn good. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I know podcasts that have been around for a decade and they're not up to a thousand episodes. Um, nowhere near, actually. So, you know, that. That's kind of cool. And maybe whenever that thousandth podcast drops, according to Apple, 
uh, I might do something special, but it's weird in that it, it doesn't show, it shows me. And I, I think this has to do with the refresh of the feed that happened last year. Um, it, it doesn't show me as being around for a decade. It says 2019 to 2020. Now I would have to do more than a daily show for me to have a thousand podcasts, you know, and only have been around that long. So I don't like that. It actually can treat, I'm going to try emailing them to see if I can fix that. But anyway, that I'm just saying that it is interesting. And if you are a podcaster and say you only use Android, if you don't have some interaction with Apple podcasts, considering this is the, the supposedly the premier app that people use to listen to, or that most people use, to listen to podcasts, you're going to want to make sure you look good on Apple podcasts. So you might want to go back to do that. Okay. Um, now, anyway, so Apple podcasts, yeah, whatever. I, I don't, I don't fucking get it. Uh, but there, there's some free advice for you. Um, FaceTime that works pretty well. I tested that out. That, that was, that was interesting. Uh, I don't get the big whoop, you know, like why everybody wants to FaceTime. I guess it's just because it's what's there. Uh, it seemed a little more stable and better quality than, or, you know, better video and audio quality than Skype offers, but that probably more has to do with the fact that only Apple users can use it. And so the bandwidth isn't as harsh. It's not like it's anything that goddamn special. Uh, anyway, so another interesting thing, um, now while they didn't allow for torrent apps, they do allow for VPNs and private internet access. Uh, I installed that on here. And what was really nice is that the, the iOS app for private internet access has an ad blocker for Safari built into it. I thought that was pretty cool. And basically that ad blocker works across um, all any, you know, any web browser you install on here. Cause you can install Firefox, edge, Chrome, brave, you know, uh, just about opera. I mean, just about any, any, any of the operating or any of the web browsers you can think of, you can install on here, but keep in mind, they are just skinned versions of Safari basically that allow you to log in perhaps to your Firefox account or your Microsoft account and so on. Um, so that content blocker that, uh, that private internet access has, I just, I thought that was nice. I had no idea, you know, that, that it did that. And I was actually looking at getting, um, ad blocker an ad blocker app specifically. Okay. Even though I noticed like with the, with Microsoft edge on here that has an ad blocker built in, um, Firefox, I do not believe does, you know, that, I mean, that's, I want to talk about that for a second. The Firefox on Android does allow you to install extensions. Okay. So even though the Google play store, and I know there's a way to put Adblock plus on, on an Android phone, you know, third party outside of the play store, but it only, it doesn't work on, you know, when you're connected to your telco, it doesn't work on LTE. It only works on Wi-Fi. but unlike, unlike Apple, where there's an outright ban, on torrenting apps. It's not like there's an outright ban on ad blocking in Android. So that's why I don't feel it's as, I don't feel Google is as egregious uh, on the matter, you know, and it really speaks more to the somewhat more openness of Android. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Android is some kind of bastion of open software. Um, It has proven not to be, or, you know, and Google has just made it worse over the years. There might've been a point where it was, but no longer. Um, but it is more open than iOS. That's for sure. Uh, again, even just the file, the file management alone, and even the notification management. Oh, like there's so many things in, in iOS that just seems so 
unintuitive. Anyway, I, I don't want to get sidetracked on that. Um, now the private internet access content blocking, like I said, I was going to get a separate ad blocker, but when I found out that it could do that, that was just a great value add to have because a lot of the ad blocking software I saw is, is subscription based anyway. Um, and I know there's some free ones on there that seem pretty good, but yeah, to have private internet access to it. And the cool thing was, is that you don't even have to be connected to the VPN. You don't have to have your VPN connected for the content blocking to work. It's basically just a free feature that private internet access gives you, um, you know, when you have a logged in account to their app. Uh, I just thought that was really slick. So I, I, do, I gotta say, I really, uh, you know, I really appreciate, um, that anyway. So let me talk about one more app that I really, really like that is not available on Android, not night sky though. That's great. Um, the Scrivener. So if you're a writer, you've probably heard of Scrivener. I've used Scrivener on, it's something that's only usually or traditionally was only available on windows and Mac OS. Okay. And Mac OS has like the latest version. Like I think windows is still two versions behind, which I don't know what's behind that. But anyway, now they do have Scrivener for, for iOS and it absolutely does work. I mean, it has some features like the cork board and everything, you know, work on iPad where they don't work on iPhones and iPod touches, but I mean, it's designed to work on each of those classes of device. Scrivener is an interesting writing app in that it allows for you to have entire writing projects, things that you could do where, yeah, you could create a folder on your desktop and you could have a bunch of different, you know, text files that like maybe one text file is a character sheet for one character. Another text file is a location sheet that describes a location. Um, and then there's like outline information you have in another text file. And then you have your main draft or something, right? Scrivener basically gives you quick access and creates entire project files that allows you to, you know, like have all this information really quick access and really, really well organized and categorized. Okay. I love, I mean, I really like Scrivener. It's, it takes a little while to get used to because it is so feature rich and fairly complex. But when I found out they had it for iOS, I was like, Oh, Oh, cause one of the things I wanted to do with this iPod touch, and I've already been doing it is writing. And I mean, writing full on novels, uh, because like I said, at the top here of this review, I wanted a device that I didn't log into, you know, I don't have Slack installed. I don't need, I don't have Gmail. I mean, that, that's another nice thing with obviously with iOS devices, right? No, you do, if you don't want Google involved, Google doesn't have to get involved at all. And by the way, maps does work on this offline. Apple maps does. And, and, and it works fairly well because uh, it's using open street map data now. And now they admit it <laughs> basically because I guess they, they couldn't afford their, their own, uh, their own GPS info, uh, or, or, you know, their own, uh, uh, data collection, but cause they did have the, didn't they have the Apple cars going around? I'm pretty sure they did, uh, you know, trying to get their own map info. Yeah, that didn't work. Uh, but anyway, uh, maps works great on this in case you're wondering. Um, so, but I wanted that device that is all about, you know, consumption of whatever entertainment, edutainment, blah, blah, blah. And it really does that well, right? Like I log into my Audible account, works great. Log into my Kindle account, works great. Um, I do, you know, I can read some of my own private PDFs that aren't on Kindle. 
Uh, I can do that. Actually, Acrobat Reader, I can do that, even though it keeps trying to get you to make an Adobe account. You don't have to. Um, I do that, and that works pretty well. Uh, for music, I mean, when I am connected to Wi-Fi, I can use Plex, and it works I already told you about it works great. I use Flackbox and VLC for listening to independent audio files. And basically I just have a ton of soundtracks on here because that's what I would use to listen to say, if I were, uh, you know, doing writing on Scrivener and to do the writing on Scrivener, I will, I mean, originally I was going to use pages cause I know the mobile experience is so solid, but then I'll, I'll still use that probably in the end because it can publish into EPUB so well, and it has really great formatting that, I used to pay money to do for my other books. Um, but I'll probably be using Scrivener almost exclusively to do a lot of the drafting and everything. And I basically have a Bluetooth keyboard, you know, that I, I fold out and bammo, you know, and I write away and, and it, it, it really works well. And the battery life for the iPod touch does great. And with Scrivener, you can, and this is where actually where, where pages runs into an issue. Microsoft word can handle this a little bit better, but with Scrivener, you can just pinch and zoom how big you want the letters to be to what you're seeing. Now, before you say, wow, you know, isn't that a really small screen to be writing on again? The idea is that there's no distractions on this device. That's the point, right? It has plenty of processing power for what it is. I mean, if, if fucking Astro house came out with their traveler, which I pre-ordered three years ago, you know, I would use that because I still don't want to, you know, I don't want to look at a backlit screen if I could help it, but whatever the traveler, if it's ever going to come out, um, just isn't here yet, but the traveler only has like a, like a four inch screen. In fact, it might even be smaller. Or if you use their free, write again, the free, write Astra house came out with, or what they used to be called Hemingway. They came out with a what they call the free write, which is consider it a Kindle, but it's a writing device instead of a reading device. And it has a little ink screen on it. It connects to Google docs and all this shit. I mean, this is kind of an interesting solution because I don't have to actually connect to Google docs. I don't have to connect to Google with this, but I can still do all that writing. And I mean, it really, really works well. And it's nice also because if I just want to write when I think of something and jot down a note or an idea that I had, because there'll be points, you know, where Ellen and I are watching a movie or we're watching enterprise or something like that, you know, star Trek. And, and I'll think of something and uh, that I want to, you know, say include in a story or something like that. And I'll just, boom, you know, I could just I pull out the iPod touch and write it down. And I don't have to worry about whether, whether I'm going to get any notifications or anything on this fucking thing. Right. And I can just do what I want to do. Distraction free, stay concentrated and focused and be done. And that's the beauty of it. That, that, that's the purpose of this device. Again, it's separating my, uh, entertainment, my, uh, educational material and even my productivity from everything fucking else. Okay. Now I haven't gotten to the point where I've tried recording a podcast on GarageBand, even though I know that that's technically feasible. I'm going to try that at some point and I'll certainly talk about that experience. Okay. But yeah, I, I wanted that little device that could do all of these things, you know, had a lot of the advantages that we consider a smartphone to have and a lot of the conveniences that a smartphone has, but it has none of the weaknesses, right? It, it's, it doesn't have to be constantly tracking me. It doesn't have to be. Now 
I mean, we can get into conversations of, well, you know, when you get into like level three security, you know, threat level three is a, you know, does, doesn't Apple probably still tracking you and blah, blah, blah. Even if you have, even if you're in airplane mode, they just find out later and blah, blah. Yeah. We could talk about that, but overall, I mean, this is a great option. And again, to not get that distraction, because let me tell you folks, I mean, I, I do have telegram on there, but you can manage how telegram notifies you. Right. And I like engaging on telegram. Um, and it, and it works really well for that. Let me tell you, if I did not, if, if I, I mean, I, I personally, me personally, I almost wish I could just go and like work on a work at a quarry or something, you know, I get it. Got to make money. What, you know, I, I, I understand. Okay. But I, I really working from, and it's not even, it's not about working for a moment like that. I don't get social time. It's the exact opposite. Like I want even, you know, being, I mean, I've, I've worked from home for years. Okay. So this is nothing new. There was no dramatic change other than not going to the gym. There has been no real dramatic change in my life ever since, you know, quarantine happened with COVID-19. Um, again, like I've said, if anything, I'm busier than I have ever been. Okay. I mean, it's just non fucking stop, but that's just it. Like, cause I know a lot of people, you know, part of the problem and, and I, and I appreciate that and we're all different. Okay. I mean, people have, you know, some people are introverts, some people are extroverts, blah, blah, blah. I mean, everybody's different. Okay. I, <laughs> I want you know, it's, I don't have to go off to work. Okay. Right. And I don't have to, I just, the, the nature of my work, I am constantly being bombarded with notifications all the time. And it's, it's global, you know? And so, you know, I'm getting messages from people in fucking Japan. I'm getting messages from people all over the place. Okay. And I'm not complaining about being able to make money in this time. Cause I know there are people who cannot. All right. And I empathize with that, but like, I don't have the problem of where, oh shit, I'm not getting enough social time. No, quite the opposite. I want even less than I have now, you know, like I don't even want people to be able to reach me digitally. God damn it. And I mean, there's people out there that I love that are far away and that digitally is the only way that I can like, you know, maintain a relationship with them at this time. And I, and I, and I do appreciate that. Okay. But you know, I, I mean, and I've said this on other episodes, but like, fuck, I mean, if Ellen and I just ended up in the woods, you know, and <laughs> live in like cave people or something. Okay. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> These days it sounds like fucking paradise. Yeah. And I say, I say that, that, that we're all different, you know, but here's the one thing I can say for certain. We are absolutely not fucking meant to get notifications, to get bothered, to get interrupted, to get interfered with nonstop 24 seven. None of us are meant for that with what we have to deal with right now. None of us. I don't care how extroverted you are. Bullshit. It is so bad. It is maddening. Even when it's just something menial, it's still, it, I mean, this is one of the great things, but even Ubuntu starting to bake in fucking notifications into their OS. Fuck them. Fortunately, it's Linux and you can just erase that shit. But yeah, I mean, one of the great things about getting away from Windows 10 is 
you know, because Windows 10 is trying to be a mobile operating system at the same time. It's trying to be the best of all worlds, right? And in so doing, it becomes nothing. And or it becomes as, as annoying as all of them. It brings the worst features of, of every platform, right? Um, and every class. Because, you know, you have the notification center and you can set it, well, you know, only notify me when it's important. But that little fucking square at the bottom right of the screen still turns white on you and you can't help but go, well, gee, what the fuck's going on? And baby, when you're trying, you know, to, to write the, the next great American novel or something, and I'm not saying I'm doing that, it's absolutely unacceptable. When you're in the flow, who the hell gets in the flow anymore? Because you're just getting goddamn bombarded with notification after notification, the most menial fucking shit. That's why I say, you know, I said it at the beginning of the show, we live in a five minute world because every five minutes there's another fucking notification about who the hell knows what. And then companies, I think, started to realize, well, hell, these people aren't installing our apps. They're not going to our website anymore. Oh, they're not following us. They're not getting notifications on Twitter any longer. They're not looking at the, maybe the, the, the Facebook notifications or something, you know, where they're, they're where they're really got to pay attention because, you know, the government or their employer might get in touch with them. It's, it's via email. And then everybody's asking you for your email all the time. And you're just getting tons and tons of emails. I, 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 I finally, you know, in, in, or in the past month or so, um, I mean, I, I have, because some of these companies have just, it's gotten outrageous. In fact, I'll name names. WWE. Inside of four hours, I got four emails from them. Can you believe that? Now I get it. Cause they're sweating. Right. I mean, especially during COVID-19, you're seeing how bad it is. These companies are hemorrhaging cash. You better believe they're offering you every fucking deal that they possibly can. It, it I, with W, I mean, I thought that that was just fucking insane. I was just hoping to get an email where they offer me, because if you're not signed up, you don't get it where they offer me, uh, you know, three free months of the WWE network or something. And on a lark, I'd, you know, give it a shot. Uh, I mean, I've had it before, but you know, where, where it'd be, it could be kind of fun uh, to go through some history there, but nah, screw it. it. It ain't worth it, man. When you're getting that many emails or Adam and Eve, the company, Adam and Eve, right? Sex, comp- sex toy company. They'll hit you twice a day, three times a day sometimes, you know? And like, I, I wanted to email their customer service back. Shut the fuck up. I'm trying to have sex. All the sex you're telling me I should have, but you keep goddamn interrupting me and I can't come. Right. I mean, like that's just to fuck with them, but it's the truth. It's insane. We're, we're, we're absolutely not meant for this. Not a single one of us. I don't care what stripe you are. I don't care how social you are. We're not. And it's eating away at our attention spans. It's bad enough. You understand it's bad enough that the somewhat somewhat long form content and entertainment and whatever other shit that's supposed to get your attention out there, you know, it's bad enough that that is largely garbage, right? And it is, it's, it, it, it's garbage. I watched five minutes of tiger King and I almost shit myself. I said, what the fuck are you people talking about? And there was my five minute world. 
because everyone's oh my god oh i gotta be in tiger king and you have all the celebrities go i gotta be in the movie for tiger king I and, and i'm watching this and i'm like you you mindless drones Got a little heated there. This is how bad it's gotten. That we will have to spend hundreds of dollars to have a separate device where we can just maybe think for a longer period of time than three seconds upon one thing. That's where we've come. How do you feel about that? I know you can't respond to me here. Feel free to tell me in the telegram group where you can actually like quiet down the notifications. Thankfully, I guess, I guess Pavel Durov knew how to make that happen. My best friend, he said the other day, he says, yeah, he says, I I tossed my phone in a drawer and uh, I haven't seen it in three days. And I was just like, man, you know, <laughs> boy, that's fucking nice. <laughs> I love that man. And, and it, <laughs> just, like that, that's, that's it. You know, it, 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 it is, it is absolutely maddening because you know what happens? I didn't expect to, to get on this conversation, but you know what happens? It's not like, yeah, you could turn all the notifications off, whatever. You don't have to have the shit installed. You could manage all of this all you want. But the thing is, is that when everybody else, even if you come to all of these realizations, okay, that you can't even, I mean, it's no wonder that people, you know, don't know what's real and can't think straight when, again, when they're constantly being interrupted, just their train of thought. Okay, and we have plenty of, we've, we've covered them. There's plenty of psychiatric studies or, uh, or psychological studies that have been done um, where, you know, like, like even when people just know that a phone is in the room, they can't, they, they don't, uh, their, their cognitive abilities aren't up to snuff compared to a, a control group where there isn't a phone in the room. I mean, just, just, just the fact that the device there is bad enough, right? It fucks with our heads. But here's the thing is that, Now, businesses, employers, bosses, pick, just pick your term. Now they, or or even friends, boyfriends, girlfriends, lovers, pick your term. They are to the point now, they have changed mentally to where they think you need to be available at all times. And now, I mean, it's almost a, a Superman syndrome. Where if you know Superman's out there and he and you know that he can hear you because he's got that super hearing, you're gonna call for call on him for every little thing. Right? And and that's that's exactly the, the point that we're to. And and now, I mean, fuck, if you don't respond to somebody inside of, you know, in fact, actually, it's to the point now, if you don't respond five minutes ago, not five minutes later, if you hadn't responded even beforehand now, they think holy shit, is this person even working? Does this person love me? Does this, I mean, they instantly think the worst. What did we do without these things? How did, how did we, how did you let your kids go outside? How did you go to the store without, uh, you know, you know, someone, uh, I mean, what you had to plan ahead. 
Oh, that's a revolutionary idea. Planning ahead, thinking things out, writing things down. What is this? Is this the dark ages? You write things down? You think ahead of time? You plan? What are you wearing stone knives and you, or you know you wearing bear skins and using stone knives? Social media doesn't help with any of it. It just amplifies the effect. I, uh, I speaking of social media, I, you know, I used to on my birthday, I, I considered it important to transmit wisdom that I had learned in that year. I was like, yeah, I'll just share a little something that I've learned in my time. Every year on my birthday, I would do a post. And maybe you can find some of this wisdom if you go back every year, May 12th, you know, over the past few years or something, it might be there. Maybe that's what I'm doing now is that I want to impart upon you some wisdom that we are going insane. And it's not because of COVID-19 that might be amplifying it a bit, but it's because of the infrastructure that we have set up that keeps us from being able to even think. I had a couple stories I was going to get. I was going to talk about telegram and the gram and all that. And, you know, I'll get to that. And, 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 you know, face masks, uh, there, there's a company. Oh, what the hell's their name? Sense sense time. That's it. Sense time where they are able to, uh, still get facial recognition through your, through, you know, even if you're wearing a face mask and whatever else, uh, we can get to those next episode. Okay. Because this conversation went to a place. This is a weird episode of Sovereign Tech. I get that. This is an odd one. And it's one of those ones where like, okay, yeah, we've been doing segments and it's a great time. And I'll keep doing segments. I love doing the segments. It makes the show fun to do. But where we are going, we're just going straight through. All right. And this is, this is really a great segue into the conversation that I wanted to play for you. And I'm going to. Because it would be between Tom Snyder and, and, and Harlan Ellison. Now I never had the pleasure of, uh, of meeting Tom Snyder and it would have been a pleasure. He, he seems like a, he's one of those guys who was just, just seemed like a Frank, amazingly, just like a really genuine guy, uh, that somehow got on the air. And, and I, and I think that, I mean, just and an absolute pro like of the kind that we will never see on this earth again for the very reasons, for the very things that I've just been talking about, because, you know, people, people can't even like develop their own selves because they're just constantly notification, notification, notification. Where's this? Where's that? Where are you? What are you doing? Get eggs. It's, it's that level of precision of speech and thought that you can only get to when you have spent a lot of time alone sitting down in your own goddamn mind like people used to do the way that people used to write the great opuses the way that people used to uh, uh, you know think up the great ideas 
There's, I mean, it's an incredible irony. No one would have been able to think of, think up even the computer or the personal computer if they were constantly getting, if they actually had personal computers at the time or mobile devices that were constantly notifying, nah, 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 nah. you know, you could say, well, Stallion, come on, the world hasn't changed. You know, people used to, the phone used to ring all the time. Yeah, I used to be able to pull the fucking thing on the phone. And when the, and, and when the other side got the, got the bap, 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 they knew to leave me the fuck alone and to shut their fucking mouths. And that's the way it should have been, how it should be. So you can only get that way when you have that kind of, you know, personal presence of mind. And you're going to hear that. I want you to listen to this. I want you to listen to, to two of the best that, frankly, the modern age has ever seen, has ever heard. I want you to listen. To, to, I mean, th th this is running. You got to understand. This is base, more or less running live. I mean, it's not 100% live because you're going to hear, there's a lot of points where the audio is going to go quiet and that's because they're actually bleeping out Harlan, right? Because there's, you know, a few seconds. I think at the time, maybe it was like six minutes. Uh, I mean, you know, the, the level of how live a show can actually be, nothing's actually live, folks, in case you didn't know that. Uh, there's always a few seconds delay. I mean, I think now we're down to like where it's 25 seconds uh, but it used to be even longer. It used to be like six minutes delay, but it, but it would more or less be, you know, live or maybe they, they pre-record. In fact, Tom Snyder was really great. Cause back in the day, uh, you know, he was originally on NBC. He did the tomorrow show there, which I always thought was a very funny name. And then he would do the late, late show, um, on CBS right after, uh, uh, whatever that guy was on Dave something. Uh, <laughs> um, and he would tell you, like on Fridays, I think most of the time he would want to, you know, whatever, get in an early weekend. And so he would pre-record on Fridays. And Tom Snyder would always tell you when he would pre-record. Uh, it was also a unique television show, not unique, but a rare television show that would actually take calls, uh, you know, from viewers, which I thought was also really cool. Or at least the Late Late Show was that. The Tomorrow Show was a different story. Uh, again, different network, different time, 70s, 80s. And, you know, he would do the Late Late Show from the 80s and 90s. Um, anyway, you're going to hear some bleep outs. Okay. But this is basically live and they're running it as is, and you can go on YouTube if you must, and you can go and you can watch more of these, including between particularly between Tom Snyder and uh, Harlan Ellison, cause they were good friends. Uh, just as you know, Harlan and I were great friends. I mean, when you got to, when you got to talk to Harlan, you couldn't help it. Just, you wanted to be his friend. If you could stomach you know, his, uh, his, his brashness. But when you appreciated that, that brashness, that crassness was coming from the heart and was coming from a tremendous intellect, you respected it and you knew what it, what it, what it was deep down and you loved it, frankly. So there's points where you're going to hear him get bleeped out, but I'm telling you, you are going to hear a conversation of such clarity, of such brilliance, of such intellect. And there's no, you know, speaking of YouTube, there's no, nobody's cutting. Nobody's doing an edit where it makes them sound smarter than they are because they got to do 20,000 takes on their fucking iPhone or whatever. Right? No, these guys are talking raw, practically live and just letting it rip and letting it go. And it is, it is, and it's a brilliant conversation. And what's more amazing 
about this conversation. It speaks to a lot of what we're talking about here. Okay. Because the, the actual, the video is titled that for the person that posted it online, the actual video is titled why television is made for morons. But I challenge you and Harlan will challenge you as you listen to it to put in, put in your medium, put in your platform, put in your device, whatever, take, just take out the word television, put in iPhone, take out the word television, put, I mean, just take your pick of whatever the fuck, you know, you're, you're thinking of. And you're going to find, holy shit, that's true for all of this. And it's not like, I mean, Harlan will tell you, no, television can be an amazing thing. It'd be a wonderful thing. In fact, I know from personally talking to him, Harlan Ellison thought like Cosmos was remarkable. He thought it was the most incredible thing that was ever to grace television, right? Harlan was a huge Doctor Who fan, not knew who. He was, he was a Doctor Who fan back when, you know, people weren't making fucking dresses out of TARDISes, you know, back when, when people were intellectually engaging with the medium, right? Okay. He was a Doctor Who fan. He liked plenty of that stuff. He thought television was a great and wonderful thing. It's not like he was necessarily knocking the technology. He was knocking the mediocrity of it all. And so this is going to run for about 38 minutes. I want you to trust me that it is worth your time to listen to it. And it is a window into how people can be perhaps in a world where they're not fucking distracted, but it's also a window into the fact that this making and molding of the dum-dums, right. And turning their minds into mush with the garbage entertainment and the garbage, everything else has been going on for decades at least. So, all right, we're just going to run with it. We're going to cut to it. Here we go. Tom Snyder, Harlan Ellison, 1978, pure brilliance. And I'll be back once it's over. Five Hugos, it's six Hugos. I'm sorry. And you missed the Mystery Writers of America Edgar Allan Poe Award and the fact that I'm a credit to my race. Yes, you are human. (laughs) But I didn't say that when you went to Ohio State University, you were there for a year and a half and some writing professor or somebody of of that sort said you don't have any talent, go and earn a living in a respectable way. You showed him, didn't you? Yeah, and uh, I told him to go perform hideous obscenities upon himself and and then left. (laughs) And uh, then I I proceeded to to go to New York and uh, to to this very city and uh, and sold like a hundred stories the first year full-time writing. And And I've sent him, not up until recently I sent him the copy of every single thing I ever had published when I got listed in Who's Who I had at Permaplax sent that to him photos of the awards are you a vengeful guy I mean did you take delight in sending that man there oh yeah I think revenge is a very terrific good thing for everybody why because uh, you go through life and uh, people are constantly gnawing at your vitals you know you wake up one morning and there's some vampire at your throat and, and you don't know what to do about it and you go for 25 years you know nudged and you're really aggravated and you gotta get even otherwise one day you suddenly go up to a Texas tower and start shooting people that was the premise upon which we based this program tonight the last time you were here I think we were talking about Star Trek mm. and we talked about how difficult it is for a creative person be it writer producer director actor sometimes to sell his or her services to the television networks Mm. and so let's talk about some difficulties you've had I had some difficulties in that program 
Star Trek people are, are like fundamentalists, man. I mean, yes, e evangelistic. Oh, they're terrifying. And they, they even went and told Gene Roddenberry that I had badmouthed him. And Gene hadn't seen the show, so he didn't know. And uh, until he found out better, uh, I, I didn't badmouth Gene. Gene's a friend. And uh, I, what I said was that Paramount was driving him crazy the same as they were driving me crazy. But, uh, uh, oh, they, I, got, I got letters letters telling me to, you know, cut my throat and I was a terrible human being and all sorts of wonderful things. Mm -hmm. But at the time, we talked about vice presidents and other assorted network executives, mm. be it here or across the street, who sometimes have difficulty understanding the creative thrust of a television series. Well, they're not, they're not writers. They, they don't understand plot. They don't understand story. They'll tell you you, you, you write a script, you spend three months writing a script, and you hand it in, and they'll suddenly say something to you like, well, let's change the hero to a woman. And, and, and you begin to tremble, and you say, well, but, but, but you can't. Oh, it's just a fix. You can fix that on a weekend. They don't realize that you have to go, you know, uh, people don't think alike. And if you make a, a man into a woman or vice versa, you've got to alter everything. Do you think that the network television industry itself is in some kind of trouble? Especially oh, yeah. in the prime time hours. And the oh, reason I ask that, absolutely. there was an article in one of the trade papers the other day about the, uh, the growing trend towards syndication instead of the networks. Peter Marshall is doing a syndicated show for Westinghouse. Andy Williams is doing a syndicated show for Pierre Cosset Productions. Mary Hartman, Mary, Mary Hartman. Hartman. Mary Hartman is a syndicated show that is highly rated in every market now. And you have to begin to wonder if possibly a lot of program suppliers and guys like yourself aren't going to go the syndication route instead of selling to the television networks. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's a place to get more freedom. And... The freedom comes not because the quality of thinking is any better on the middle management level, but they're just less creeps to deal with. I mean, whenever you can cut a creep or two out of the, out of the firing line, you're, you're in much better shape. Hey, you've cost yourself money with your attitude, have you not? <coughs> <coughs> yes, uh, Tom, I have. Uh, I have a very... I know they're going to bleep this. I know they're going to bleep this, but it's the only word, and I know people can read my list. I have a very low threshold. I cannot take people lying to me, and they will say things to you and know bloody well that they're going to that they're going to change it then 15 minutes later. Who are they, and how have they lied to you? Okay, take for instance, uh, name names, right? Yes, sir. Name names. As we said when you were here, no holds barred. Okay, how about if I attack an NBC executive first of all? Uh, let's say <laughs> the word is not attack, but you will tell the truth of this person as yes. you perceive it. Okay. All right. All right. There was a uh, there was a gentleman. Uh, named Stan Robertson, who was uh, vice president. Uh, I see you're blanching already. <laughs> well, Tom, let's do it. Uh, who was in charge of network uh, television movies. I was engaged to do a project based on the uh, Richard Speck murders. Richard Speck was the guy who slaughtered the eight nurses in, in Chicago. Chicago. And uh, they'd had this project going with uh, Chuck Freeze Productions, who supplies an enormous amount of stuff to the networks. And they couldn't beat the script. They just couldn't figure out how to do a mass murderer without doing a mass murderer. Instead of saying, well, we can't, let's forget it and go on and do Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm, they still wanted to get, they wanted their cake and eat it too. They wanted the slaughter, but they didn't want to have to uh, show it. Mm -hmm. So I found a way to do it. I took a parallel of the spec case and I took the same psychiatric problems and I worked with uh, Dr. Marvin Ziporn, the psychiatrist who had worked up the profile on spec, mm -hmm. and I spent quite a bit of time in Chicago, went to Menard Penitentiary and the St. Charles Lockup for Boys and, and, and Zipporn was marvelous about it. I spent about eight months on that thing. It was called The Tigers Are Loose. Robertson was the man who uh, gave us the go-ahead and he was wildly enthusiastic when we started. Uh, I liked the project so much that I said, instead of me writing a treatment, which is what you write before you do the script and you get 
short money for that, and then you get the big money when you go into first draft. I said, I want to do it script first. If you like it, you'll pay me first draft and treatment money. If you don't, pay me the treatment money, and that's it. Did this thing as a two-hour film, and I was enormously pleased with it. I think in, in 15 years of working in this cesspool, it is the best single script I ever did, and I really broke my back on it. Took it in, Freeze loved it, the people at, at his production company loved it, my producer loved it. They took it over to the network, Robertson said, oh, get right back to you. Silence, man. An unearthly hush that one finds only at the Those center of the earth. Those are deadly words from a network executive, I'll get back to you. Yeah. Oh, one could wait a lifetime. And, and one did, as a matter of fact. Uh, finally, we get the script back after this wild enthusiasm on his part, and he gave us the go-ahead and put up the money for it, NBC's money, and scribbled across the face of it is totally unacceptable. Couldn't find out why. There were just, you know, random remarks about too much violence, right? Well, what, did, what the hell did they expect in a show about a, about a Eight guy? murders, you're right. going to have some violence. Right, yes. there, there has to be a little... I mean, you don't have to show it, but there's going to be something there that... I thought perhaps violent. maybe he could use harsh language on them instead, or, or maybe smack them in the knee. Uh, so, uh, I was told that it had been rejected by network continuity, the censors. And I said, well, let me talk to the censors, maybe I can fix it. You can't talk. The censors? What, what, are you mad? You can't, nobody talks to the great and wonderful wizard. Not no time, no how, no where. <laughs> I said, this cannot be so. So I called them myself and got a very nice man whose name, uh, unfortunately, has fallen out of my head. A very sweet man. And he said, come on up, we'll talk. So I went in with my producer and we sat down and I found that the things that they wanted changed were so minor, so easily fixed. I was able to do it in a very short time. Sent the script back. They called me from their office to say that this man had come out of the office holding the script in his hand and he said to the people in the office, he said, folks, what we have here is another Emmy winner. This is better than the glass house. And I thought, I'm in heaven. I'm finally going to get one of my things on the right way. Back to Stan Robertson it went. <laughs> Thurman music and nothing else, man. I mean, it was forget it time, Jack. It was like Mount Rushmore, nothing. We must, in Mr. Robertson's defense, say, that he was not the man who would make the final decision on whether your project was go or no go. I'm certain he had superiors above him. Who well, there's no way of knowing. You see, that's one of the things. You never know who those shadowy figures on the mountaintop are. Precisely to whom did that project go? Did it ever go anywhere? Or was it kept on Robertson's desk? No one to this day knows. I'm We're angry. going right to the right tank. To the right, hole. Right. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I'm going to go down with you. I'll be with you in the window out there in Beverly Hills, writing the, writing the books and everything. That's I, fine. That's I got to tell you, people keep asking me, what do you like? That's the question I keep getting asked. What is Tom Snyder like? I talked to him for now. How the hell do I know what he's like? He could eat babies for all I know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I don't know what, you, what you're like. <laughs> I know how they treat you in 21. That's awesome. Do you know who they kept waiting while they took care of your table? No, no, it was your table. It was well, your table was that night, not mine. No, Only no. because I picked up the check. So that's <laughs> that's the only right, reason. but you're going to be reimbursed for it. But I was wearing your tie, so yes. that's probably why it was my table. So yeah. They kept Alistair Cook waiting, Governor Hugh Carey, and George Bush of the CIA, man. And they're following. Oh, get, get Snyder table. Get Snyder table. <laughs> no, that's not true. <laughs> it is true. No, no, George Bush lie. wasn't there that night. Yes, he was. Why didn't you tell me? We'd have brought him over and done a show with him. Uh, I would love to know the man. I have never met the man. Well, he was there. And they kept the push schlep waiting. And Alistair Cook, wonderful man, yeah. did, uh, did uh, uh, Alistair Cook's America. Beat me out of an Emmy Award last year. I would I have loved to. I didn't know he owned it. Said hello. <laughs> no, he just rented it for 13 oh, programs. Oh, I see. Yeah, okay. 13 weeks. Listen, a I have to pause for some announcements now. And more guests, please. We'll, <laughs> we'll be right back <laughs> with Arvin Allison after these messages. When somebody asks you, what am I like? I thought you were saying, what do you like? Uh, you, you don't like television an awful lot. 
No, it's not true. I do like television. Yeah, but you like television your way. And it's highly possible that your perception of it in the minds of those who operate television can't work. I like the same things that people, when they're in their right mind, seem to like. I love the Adams Chronicles. I l really enjoy Rich Man, Poor Man, which I am missing at this very moment because I'm sitting here talking to you. I like MASH. I like Mary Tyler Moore. I think The Profession, the new show with Danny Thomas, much as I dislike Danny Thomas. The Practice. Practice, I'm sorry, is a super duper show. It's funny. It's funny. It makes me laugh. I think it's possible to... You see, people say... Now, that's interesting, because I watched that program the first night it was on. I do this uh, news minute, and so you're sitting in the studio waiting for yourself to go on. And uh, uh, the first show that they did, Danny Thomas did uh, what, what I thought were some of the worst jokes that we have all heard as kids. At one point, uh, somebody said, my uncle goes like this and it hurts, and Danny says, tell him not to do it anymore. Yeah. Now, we've, we've all heard that yeah. joke, and I thought, gee, I don't know if that's really... I don't know why it's it's kind of a it's it's a it's a it's a latter-day version of the last angry man Paul Muni movie about the doctor I, I, I don't know why it makes me laugh it seems to be a nice little show I mean it's it certainly is not going to alter the course of Western civilization but that's the point people always say well, I get home at night you know I've been digging ditches all day and I just want to sit there and suck up a beer and watch Gilligan's Island reruns well you know fine there's room for that on television there's X number of hours of programming each day plenty of room for all of that hmm? if they were also doing the other stuff if they were also doing things that enrich and uplift it does not seem to me to serve the common wheel to have endless hours of cop shows telly savalas is a kick and i love telly savalas but how many times can you see him run some junkie down with a car i mean it just gets to be a drag after a while and all the shows are the same way as what i said to the, the to, to jimmy Dewan when we were on the show star trek in its way was a cop show too there's cowboys who act like cops and doctors who act like cops lawyers who act like cops and cops who act like cops and I find shows like SWAT and The Rookies loathsome and detestable in the extreme. They make me want to puke. They really do. Uh, law and order is, I suppose, a good thing, but too much of it can be a real But bummer. if you are allowed to say that of those programs, then why would you become so riled if somebody at the network level or some viewer said, I find your shows, Harlan Ellison, loathsome and detestable, or your attitude... I wouldn't object at all if they'd let them go on. See, I want the same shot that the major producers of these, you know, like Quinn Martin is basically a very nice man, but he produces the same show with 26 different faces. I mean, he's got a fat cop and a cop who limps and an old cop and a blind cop, and it's, you know, it's all the same. You're going to say bilge, I know. Bilge again, yes. yes. That isn't quite the word that came to mind. <laughs> he's, got, he's, got one, he's got one format, and you could take a script from one show and put it on another, and it would make no difference. And they pass through you those shows like beats through a baby's backside. Five minutes after, five minutes after you start watching anyone that got to you, did it? Five minutes after any one of those shows starts, you know the ending. You know exactly where it's going to go. Well, you can watch any show now, uh, 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 Kojak yeah. or Columbo, yeah. uh, which are, uh, you know, nice shows. I love all the shows. Telly, Peter, love all your shows. <laughs> <laughs> but you watch the first five minutes, and then you shut it off. And then you turn on the last five minutes, you got the whole thing. Yeah. It's all there in it's front It's all of there. But do you think that it's different in other disciplines? Is it different in publishing? I mean, oh, don't absolutely. they try the switch there? No, what happens in publishing, you, you see... Th I interviewed a guy once, Harlan, named Henry Slavitt. Not his real name. He wrote a number of David books. David Slavitt. Uh, David Slavitt. He, he writes a name Henry Sutton. Henry Sutton. Right. And he had a book out called The Exhibitionist. And there was a certain scene in that book involving a motion picture producer and six women. And the, the specifics of the scene I, I won't go into here. Uh, although you probably will when you think of it. 
and they went to the they public... They were playing cards. Yes, they were playing cards, that's right. <laughs> I'm not a pervert <laughs> like you. No, having a little game of poker. You know, it's freezing in here. I, I know, it's very cold in here. We do that to keep people on their toes. And, 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 and the publisher said, you know, that scene is so despicable and so awful that I'm not going to publish the book unless you change it to include not six girls, but four. <laughs> There's a man with a limited horizon, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, Slavitt or Sutton changed the story. So th now there's a, c a case of, uh, of creative interference, if you really want to get down to it. Uh, yeah, of course there is. There's always, there are, there are writers and artists of any stripe who will change their work for whatever reasons. I'm very sticky about it. I, I, I resist that kind of thing. If I do it, I do it right, fine. But I've had, I've had producers and, and editors say to me, hey, look, take a look at this and this doesn't seem right and I'll look at it and I'll say yeah you're, you're right the words are not engraved in gold but they are my words and I want them done the way I want them I don't want some other head changing them I don't want some some clown who comes in you know who used to, who was in the mailroom four days ago coming in and rewriting my my story which is what happened you know you're being outlandish now you really are why well they, they, those people weren't in the mailroom four days ago oh really eight days ago eight days ago <laughs> there, I, I have never seen anything like it in my life Movies and television are an art form. Granted, they are an art form by committee. They're, co they're, they're a, you know, a cooperative one where, where a writer writes and then a director directs and a producer produces. That's fine. You understand that. That's a given. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the people who make the creative decisions are businessmen. They think because they lay out the buck that they have the intellect to know what art is. Clearly, this is not so. The last time that happened was the Pope. You know, when will the Sistine Chapel ceiling be done? When it's done, dummy. You know, that's the last time. What we've got now are CPAs, for God's sakes, in charge of all the studio. Uh, horror story. Horror story. Now, let me say that. I got, I got a better one. How, how about if I get ABC now? Let me get ABC. Hold it. Let's pause for a few announcements, and we'll get ABC <laughs> in two minutes and five seconds. Okay. They're having a great year. They can stand it. We'll be right back. Okay. It's an ABC story. A, an ABC story, yeah. The, the, the dude in, uh, in, 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 in uh, I'm about to tell about, is a guy named uh, Steve Gentry, um, uh, for whom I will never work. As a matter of fact, I'm doing a thing for, for ABC right now. There are now. probably a lot of guys for whom you will never work. Oh, hey. You know, that town has more blacklists going than, than Carter has little liver pills. I hope that isn't a plug. I mean, it's, you know, it's a, it's a phrase, folks. It's a phrase. Uh, they, and, and, the, and the blacklists are all word-of-mouth kind of numbers. Like... What? Incidentally, from before, Drek is out, but, but Banyo is in. Banyo is in. Banyo. <laughs> I wanted to substitute Kaka, but they wouldn't no, let No, no, no Kaka. No, no Kaka. Okay. Banyo, good. Duty. You think she'd let Duty go through? Duty. Duty is not there. Flotsam is You mean as in Howdy Duty? Right. 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 Howdy Duty is okay. Uh, uh, I, I, was, uh, uh, I was up for a job. I was up for a big movie a couple of weeks ago. And the producer came over, and he, had, he read my books, and he read a couple of my scripts, and he said, you're right for it. You're absolutely right for it. He went to the people at Paramount, and they said, no, 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 we don't want to go that way, we don't want to go, yeah. what way, we don't want that way, that, <laughs> that way was with me, right? Off Ellison Street, real fast, right? I'm considered a troublesome person. The reason I'm a troublesome person is because I give enough of a damn about what I write that I won't let people just potchke with it for, for pleasure. When I go in for a network meeting, I usually wear this t-shirt. This is, I hope you'll be able to read this. If you can't read it, have your parents read it to you. Don't move your lips. <clears throat> This is a quote from Bertolt Brecht. It says, each day I journey to the marketplace where lies are bought. Hopefully, I take my place among the sellers. And I wear this so that they know that they, um, they can't buy my soul, but they can rent my talent. Uh, they don't like that too much. They don't, they, they, they don't think that's very nice of me. And uh, Is it? Well, I don't know. I don't think Isn't it's a part of life 
compromising, uh, playing the game, if you will, to achieve a goal somewhere down the line. Man, does, that, does, that is the excuse for all politicians. And that is the excuse for all the, all the little compromises that everybody makes in life. You know, I, I, I consider myself an enormously lucky person because very early on in life, I got put in a hard place where I had to find out whether or not I would give. Where was that? Uh, it was the first time I was called a kike. Uh, was in uh, Champion Junior High School. Well, no, actually, it was before that. It was in Lathrop Grade School in Painesville, Ohio, a really loathsome place. And uh, kid called me a kike, and he was a big, big guy. Tall. Oh, everybody was tall. I was a dwarf, you know. I was, I'm a troll, man. I represent the lollipop guild, the lollipop guild. <laughs> and here was, here I was, you know, come on, put him up, put him up. You know, I tag his knee, and uh, guy just phew, beat on me like a Hong Kong gong, man. I mean, it was just, it was dreadful. But I had to do it. And and if you once if you once get put into a position where you can't weasel, where you really have to make the decision and you have to go or no go, then you find out whether you've got it or not. And 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 I. I did that, and I don't, I don't consider it any great mark of courage. It's just, I'm... What'd you do? Did you pop them? Oh, yeah, I went at it. Yeah. You know, I went at it. They, they carried me off the playground, but I went at it. And, I, and, I, and I've been doing that ever since. And it's, it's just because I can't do anything else. It really... I, I mean, guys like Audie Murphy, you know, like charging over the hill and killing 2,000 uh, uh, of the enemy, uh, I don't think they really n do it out of any courage. They do it because they go berserk, and they can't help themselves. They just can't not do it. And it's the same. It's the same today. Uh, when do I you go a little berserk. Oh, I go very berserk. Yeah, crazy. Huh? I go you very get crazy. Berserk, sure. I get the crazy. Sure. You, you, you have to. You have to. Otherwise, they uh, they will kill you. They'll, they'll they'll turn you into something very soft and squishy. And when I go into a network meeting, go in with go into Steve Gentry, and I get this one. I get a call from Chuck Free's office. Again, Chuck Free's had the more <laughs> yeah. the project. Okay. Wait. Yeah. Yeah. I the, done Chuck the Freeze had done the you done the Tigers uh, Loose project the uh, spec spec, spec, spec project good call me up a few weeks later the one that's in Banyo in Banyo right yeah. in Limbo uh, they call me up and they say we got a fabulous idea for a series we want you to write it I said what's the fabulous idea you know I think maybe they're going to give me you know Moby Dick they say Atlantis okay that's it <laughs> that's it Jack Atlantis that's it I said oh do you think you can do it. Do I think I can do what? Can you write Atlantis? In other words, what they're saying is, we have a word. Here is the word. We will Now, take you go beat your brains out right, and make it fly. Right. Make it a series. Make something out of it. Create a story. Create characters. Create a continuity so that it, we can sell it to a network. But if we don't like it, we're going to throw it away. Right. And you're not going to get paid a dime. We go in to see Steve Gentry. And I've had a number of meetings with Steve Gentry, who is not going to like me a lot after this program. And since I'm doing a movie for them right now, that comes out of another production outfit, I'll probably be cut off. I'll get, you know, the word will be in at, the, at the hotel tomorrow. Why do you tomorrow. do this to yourself? Why do I do it? I don't know. Will you forgive me a question? Yeah. Do you think they're all still calling you a kike? And you have to fight back at them? Well, you know, yeah, but in a very subtler way. I mean, I don't worry about that anymore. I mean, that, that doesn't bother me. What bothers me is that I only have one allegiance. I mean, if I were, f if tomorrow they put a, 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 one of those loyalty oaths in front of me, are you loyal to the United States of America or are you loyal to your writing? Forget it, Jack. The country can sink into the ocean for all I care. I only care about the integrity of the work. That's really all I give a damn about. And I'll kill to keep those words that way. I mean, when I, I've spent 20 years of my life doing what I do, and I think I do it very well indeed. And I'll be damned if I'm going to let people mess with it. That's my religion. That is precisely where I am. And when I go in and give them an idea, I'm willing to alter the idea, you know, 
reasonably within limited. certain frameworks yeah to, to maintain the integrity of your idea to make it stupid to dumb it up because they believe if your lead guy is a if the lead is a man you don't want somebody to change it to a woman unless it works as a woman if it works as a but woman. if it can't work in your mind there's no compromise That's right. on that huh? listen i had a producer named stan spetner who i worked for at universal on the sixth sense which was on abc for a very mm -hmm. brief time who once said to me when i presented him with some ideas that i wanted to turn into scripts and they were pretty good ideas. He said, no, 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 no. We don't want those kind of ideas. We don't want those kind of He said, what you've got to realize is that we're doing the Saturday morning funnies for these people. They're all monkeys out there. Now, he really believed that. And I believe a lot of other people in the industry believe that, too. They believe that everybody watching television... Is a yummy. Is a yummy. Is an absolute cadote right off the hay rack, for crying out loud. That they haven't got the brains God gave them. And so they program lower and lower and lower. And they give them the little house on the prairie. And they give them more rookies. And they give them more SWAT. And... And, and people's brains are turning to prune whip yogurt, for crying out loud. People need to have something that their brains can masticate, and they don't get it. And that's why I do it. It's, it's infuriating to me to see this kind of medium that's, that's available for such uplift, for such good things, even simple good drama, nothing even better, or good, good comedy, being frittered away, being used to, to sell toilet paper, you know, toilet paper is a nice thing, but if you don't have it, use a Sears catalog. You know, there's always something else. The important thing is the preservation of art. That's, and people, people are so afraid of the so word two art. interesting things to mention in the same sentence, bathroom tissue and the preservation of art. Well, I mean, Martin Luther believed a good bowel movement was the most uplifting thing a human being could he indulge did. in. Yeah. Well. He's a very uptight gentleman, which explains Calvinism, <laughs> I believe, and Lutheranism. <laughs> And you think the guy named Gentry is going to be upset. We will continue after these announcements. With Tennessee, right? <laughs> right, there it goes. Uh, right after these announcements, we'll be back uh, with uh, Carl and Ellison. And, well, you've already told me you, you got into a fight when you were thir 13 years old. No, You're no, no, very much younger than that. 13 was already, I was on the road when I was a little kid. When you left Ohio State and you came to New York, how did you start writing here? Well, I, I'm, I mooched off a couple of fellow writers, older ones, Lester Del Rey and uh, 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 Algis Budrys, who, who got me started. And then I moved into a, <laughs> a sleazy room way uptown on West 114th Street. And Bob Silverberg, Robert Silverberg, was, uh, mm -hmm. was in the same building. And uh, I just started writing and submitting stories around and kept getting them turned out. I got a story. This is one of the great unsolved mysteries of all time. There was a magazine called Manhunt. Manhunt was a uh, crime magazine, pocket-sized one, and it was the market to hit back around 1955, 56. Everybody wanted it. <clears throat> and, and it was, you know, it was publishing all the, all the big mystery writers of the time. And I was, I hungered to sell to that magazine. I wrote a story and mailed it out at about 7 o'clock in the morning. I worked all night on it, and I mailed it out at 7 o'clock in the morning. We got a late mail that day. It came in at 3 o'clock. It was back here in New York City. It had been read. It had obviously been read. Let the post office do that today. I mean, that would be a nice thing. Uh, I got a lot of rejections, and I just kept writing. And how interesting is this to your audience? No, it's quite interesting, because many people who are writers, or would like to be writers, think of New York, Los Angeles, Chicago as places to go to write. Mm. But many come here and go away in despair. Well, they, they should. They deserve to. See, it's a very simple philosophy. Anybody who can be deterred from writing should have been. People who want to write really want to write, and they will write. Whether they're living out in, uh, there's a woman named Kelly who did a book called Weeds years ago in the, in the, in the 20s, 30s, and uh, the book was, you know, came out and vanished, and uh, she did a couple of other books, and uh, she lived off on a, on a farm up in 
finally moved to California, the woman had to write. She wrote, if I were in a, if I were on the proverbial desert island, I would write the things and attach them to the back of a Galapagos tortoise in hopes that they would get out somewhere. People are always saying, well, you know, I have this great book and no one will buy it that is Umbaya. Not true. Not, not true. true. Not it is true. not true. Not true. There are no false. It's a false. No hope. great unpublished works in this country at the moment, and if there are, it's because people don't have the guts to send them out to market, and that's all it takes. But doesn't the fact that you've succeeded sort of give the lie to some of the ranting and raving that you go through for for your own self? You know, whether it be television network executives. Well, succeed whether, where? Succeed how? Well, you're a successful writer. You've published thirty books. Yeah. Uh, your name is known and is legend among those people who follow your works and and who are, he yeah. are hearing of them through programs such but as I this and others. All but right. I, but I guarantee you. And you're successful. You, you strive. You came to New York. You persevered. You said I, I stayed up all night. I sent it in the mail. I mean, you, you really busted your gut to write. Yeah. And 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 the writing profession was good back to you. Yeah. But and, didn't throw you out. Yeah. And and you're Jacqueline, not get cut out of the and, and Jacqueline Suzanne will still sell more copies of her book you know and and Jacqueline Suzanne at her best do you worry about how many people buy your book yes you do I worry very I worry about it greatly you know why I worry no because if I didn't worry I would be saying that what I'm w doing is not significant enough for me to be pushing I I don't believe that hum humbleness is not I try humbleness God knows I've tried humble you know I, try, I really try well, there I, are two great sins false pride and false humility I don't okay. wear it well I just don't wear it well I love what I do and I think I do it awfully good awfully well boy was that bad and when I see someone like a Jacqueline Suzanne, whose first book was bought onto the bestseller list, I mean, I was working on the bloody screenplay of it before it was even published at 20th, and I know how that book became a bestseller. And if people knew, they would feel like absolute dupes. But those things happen. And, and, and a writer like, like Eric Siegel, oh, God, spare me from Eric, Jonathan and Livingston Siegel, he's, he's you know, I mean, his, his stuff is, is the lowest possible common denominator of human emotion. And people sit there and they read it and they weep piteously and they go to the movie and they watch Ali McGraw dying from a disease which kills but does not wither, you know, and, 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 and pseudo-necrophilia as Ryan O'Neill flings himself onto the bed and she says, no, crawl up onto the bed with me and people are groping for digitalis through the theater. I'm sitting there and laughing. The woman's like, you're a monster, you're a monster. It's People have been so inundated with it for so long. It's like top 40 rock. There's so much garbage that the good stuff becomes noise, background noise. If, you, if you're in a car with, with, with a, a person who has been brought up on nothing but rock all his or her life, and you're going past the, <laughs> you go past on the dial, and you hit, you hit classical music, and you want to hear it from, that's like static to them. They'll instantly turn it until, until they can get the Eagles. I mean, I, I dig the Eagles too. But I don't think that that means that there should not be a world with Charles Ives in it. Uh, it seems to me that the more garbage you dump on people, the more people get used to garbage. Look how many people eat. I mean, that is not food. What are they? Are they, they, they sponsor? I don't know why we're dragging those poor people into this conversation. They have nothing at all to do with creativity. Well, they, they do. Yes, they do. Look, classic example of the of the plasticization of this country. Every nation is famous for some, for some kind of food, right? The French have their wines. In Brazil, it's the rolls. Uh, in Germany, you get great knockwurst. What do we export? You know, you can go into any city in America. I, don't, I was in Calgary, Calgary, Canada. Calgary, bloody Canada, lecturing about a month ago. Okay? I'm just sitting here trembling, <laughs> wondering where the next piece is going to fall. <laughs> and, and Calgary is, is, like, is like the Tulsa of Canada. It's all American oil dudes in there, right? 
and you go down the main street and I swear to God, it looks like Garden Grove, California. There's, you know, there's your motels and the bowling alley and the, and the, and the Akron. Filling and the station. McDonald's and the mm -hmm. Kentucky Colonel. Or whatever that is they, <laughs> they give you, you know. You know what I hate? Not, let me get to the Colonel. From. I know what you hate. I hate mediocrity. But ranting about mediocrity isn't going to change it. But, well, hey, I, give me the bomb. <laughs> give me the no, bomb. No. no. No, the bomb won't change it. They build it all back again the way it is now. What, what, what are you to say to people? Are you to say to people, look, you can... I want to go back to why it's important to you that your books sell more copies than Jackie and Suzanne's. Because I write better. I know you write better. Hey, I think I do some things better than the other people who are on this thing. But, if you know, if one person is watching or 10 million are watching, don't you owe whatever audience you have your very best oh, they without, get it. without worrying about numbers? It, you can't separate, Tom. There's in, it seems to me to succeed... In the arts, in America today, one has to have a schizoid personality. There's the artist who does the work with what balls I call clean hands and composure, without compromises, okay? When it's done, then you say to the artist, thank you for having done a good job, go catch some sleep, and you bring out the rapacious businessman, the person who is willing to sit on a television show like this, which is a hype. This program is a hype. I have nothing more to say. I mean, why should anybody sit and listen to me, for God's sake? You could have Buckminster Fuller up here. That's someone to listen to, but they won't listen to Buckminster Fuller. Why? Because he isn't Zsa Zsa Gabor with a beehive hairdo. That's why. I come on here, and, and people send me letters. I get, I get 200 pieces of mail now a day, and they tell me that I'm the that savior. that you should say that. I did a show a long time ago in a terrible location with Buckminster Fuller, and the producers had said, you must ask Mr. Fuller to explain how a straight line is not the shortest distance between two points. And he took four weeks to do it. It took him a long time to do it. Well, and I, and, and it, it seemed to be boring. Tom, the lesson in that is the same and lesson... Maybe I should be ashamed of myself because I said when it was all over, I said, you know, I, I really don't know if that's going to sell. And maybe that was just the wrong thing for me to say. Life is not a John Wayne movie. There are not guys in black hats and white hats. That is not the way it works. It does take time to explain a complex idea. That's the difference between art and Eric Siegel and Jacqueline Suzanne. Everything is boiled down to simplistics for them. And an awful lot of people have very complex lives. It is not an easy world in which we live, he said pontificating. And so they want to go for easy solutions. They want to believe that you can do that. That you, you know, if you punch someone in the mouth, there is this eloquent vocabulary of a fist in the face and that you can settle things that way. But that th doesn't settle things. It doesn't, and, 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 and not in art. And I think the reason that I am concerned that my books sell well and get around to people is that for better or worse, whatever it is I know, I want them to know. Let them accept or reject, but at least give me a shot for God's sakes. Let me have my chance. When I go past Brentano's window, you know, all I see is Irving Wallace, and Jacqueline Suzanne and, 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 and a whole horde of people who are writing books that are not what they should be. And Nabokov is not there, usually. And, uh, and Borges is not there, usually. And uh, a, a writer like Kate Wilhelm, who's a brilliant writer. She's one of the best writers in the country today. You'll never see her books in the window of Brentano's because it's a little more difficult than, a, than, a, than, a, than the new Irving Wallace. And I think it's good for people to struggle with what they're reading. I think it's good for them to work a little harder at it. I think things come too easily. I think we, we sit and watch programs like this, where ideas are boiled down so that, so that a mongoloid could understand. 
and and uh, uh, now we'll get letters from people who have children who are you know mongoloid saying you're a beast uh, I, I think that simplifying ideas too much distorts them and I think that's what television does well I'm not gonna sit here and say that this is any great uh, 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 forum for wisdom but I'm glad you're here tonight oh, well. And, and, and we will continue after these announcements. Please stay uh, tuned. Now, you, now you're upset. No, I'm not upset. I, I feel <laughs> great about it. I'm not upset, but I just don't know why um, every single... Uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Every single blank has to be a confrontation. Because that's what life is. It is a confrontation. That is what life is composed of. An endless series of confrontations with... The society in which one lives, with one's fellow man and woman, and with oneself. That is what life is all about. That's why you can never get rid of violence on television. Because life is, in, to a greater or lesser degree, violent. And the intensity of the confrontation, the, the revelations of the human condition that come out of those confrontations, is what makes enlightening drama, makes art for us. We must learn from what we read. We, we, we can't keep getting our brains massaged. We have to have the confrontation so that when they come to us in real life, we have some, <clears throat> some well of information to go to. Did you want to do some commercials? Yeah, I really want to do this break now, and then we will uh, continue. Please stay tuned. Manager of KCRA in Sacramento. Getting this program for the first time? Carrying our show tonight <laughs> for the very first time. Poor soul. And coming in in the morning and seeing the phone report, <laughs> saying, get those loonies off my station. Oh, <laughs> ah, ah, God, how terrible, how terrible. Uh, yeah, but the, you see, the only thing that we're on opposite is Cal Worthington. So <laughs> for those who don't know Cal Worthington, he's a car dealer in California. And um, very interesting. Did I ever tell you the story about, uh, there was a, remember before Cal Worthington, there was... Uh, uh, oh, uh, what's his name? Uh, the, uh, Ralph, Ralph uh, Williams. Williams. Hi, folks, Ralph Williams here. Uh, Ralph, amazing story about Ralph I bought Ralph a car Williams. from Ralph Williams one time. Do you want to know what happened? Well, I bought two cars from we Ralph have, Williams. Let me tell the story already for They were sake. great cars. <laughs> <laughs> I've since sold them. But. He bought the joint from Leon Ames, who right. was an old actor, and it right. was Leon Ames Ford, and Leon Ames was the old-time actor who had the car lot. Right. And he married Leon Ames' daughter, and he became the manager of the place, and he was a dynamite manager. He sold like crazy. One day, as I understand it from an ex-LA cop, Leon Ames got kidnapped. I covered that story for KTLA and by Los two or three huge thugs, and he called up. He calls up <laughs> Ralph Williams at the lot, and Ralph says, oh, "Leon, now what's what's matter? I'm selling a uh, you know I'm selling a '32 uh, Chevy wagon to uh, a couple from uh, Inyo. Uh, what, what do you want?" He said, "Forget the wagon. You know I'm kidnapped. I'm kidnapped. I'm, I'm in a motel, and they want 150 thousand dollars. Bring it in a satchel. Well, can I sell the car? Forget the car, Ralph." <laughs> Over here immediately, right? So, all right, all right. Now you got to You got to know. Ralph Williams is first of all eight and a half feet tall. Looks like a slab of paper. Charlton Heston looked like a teeny weeny. So, so he goes and he gets his hundred fifty thousand in cash and he puts it in the Sancho and he goes out to this Fakakta motel way out in Japip, you know. And and one of these dudes opens the door with a you know magnum in his hand and aims it at at, at him and 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 uh, Ralph Williams kind of looks around, smashes the door into the guy, breaks his brain, hits the other guy with the Sancho, knocks him across the room, breaks every bone in his body, turns around, and says, "You okay, Leon? Yeah, I'm okay. Come on, Leon. Takes him back to the lot and sold the car. And sells the thirty-two on that right now. I." Could not believe my eyes. <laughs> Why did you write it? It's a great story. It's uh, it ought to be told. Well, it's a little late now. He's not the he's not the you know he was on the Carson show and everything. He was the man. Now it's Cal Worthington with that funny hat. Why do you live in California? I love it. I love it. I used to live here. 
And I wouldn't whew, forget this town, Jim. Oh, 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 it's like Dresden after the fire bombing. I mean, you know. Well, you've just talked about the beauties of Garden Grove and a few other places. Out well, that's there. out. I don't, I don't, oh. I'm not there, man. I'm in, I'm in the middle of L.A. up. I'm on the side of a mountain right at Mulholland. Oh, I, Whoa, oh, 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 forget that. <laughs> Tell what happened the last time you were on the show. Yeah, the last time I was on the show, I got eggs thrown against my house by some pusillanimous little pismire. And I know you're out there, you egg sucker, and I'm gonna get you. <laughs> you know I'm gonna get you one day soon. You watching? Uh-huh. Why do people do things like that, I wonder? They don't like, they don't, they don't, they're frustrated. They don't it's okay not to like you. That's okay, yeah, isn't it? They don't have to throw eggs against your house. Say, hey, I don't like the way you think, that's well, all. Well, maybe they figure my coming in on their TV set is my version of throwing eggs at them. So I really can't get all that upset about it. But it's just kind of dumb throwing eggs. I mean, if they really want to come and brace me, come face to face so that I can, you know, pull off their nose and stuff it in their ear. Which is, <laughs> which is my way of saying... Thank you! <laughs> right, Thank you, America! Care enough to give you the very best. Right. Uh, okay. Well, we're out of time now. It's been an awfully fast hour, and I want you to come back in a couple months, and we'll do this again sometime. Okay. I think Next time I come back, can I tell you how I found out I was a star? Yeah, and I want to tell you something. You know what's good about doing this? Ventilation. Yeah. Ventilation never hurt. Thanks, Harvin. Thank you, Tom. We'll be back at Pure magic. Something I was going to say earlier is that also on my birthday, and I'm turning 39, so I'm not, I'm not that old, but at the same time, um, I think any of us who, I, I think they technically, I'm technically a millennial, but I think that uh, 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 there, there has been a fun term bantied about called zennials which is basically where you're, you're, you're just a little bit in this like area of gen X and millennial, right. As far as generations go, uh, I think Xennials in particular who spent most of their life without the internet, but have spent almost as much of their life with the internet have a very unique perspective on the world and have seen more changes in life, like dramatic, massive, you know, lifestyle changing changes. Uh, than any other generation, maybe in history. Uh, I mean, you know, maybe the people that experienced the industrial revolution or something, maybe experienced something more, but I, I, I say this to you. Okay. To suggest that even though I'm only 39, I feel like I have seen so much change. And I know everybody wants to say that. I, I know people who, you know, who are 19, probably that, that, that would say that they've seen so much change. And I'm, I'm not going to say that necessarily they hadn't, but I've seen so much, even just technological change, so much change in so many ways. And I have watched so many people because the other thing that that generation of Xennials has had to deal with is that, you know, it's the first generation where people were living exceptionally longer than previous generations. And so I was able to, as to where, if I grew up in the 1920s, I would not have been able to befriend Herman Melville because he would have died. You know, usually a lot of these people would have died much younger. Right. And they wouldn't have been able to speak to so many generations like Harlan did, you know, who didn't die until, I mean, just a couple of years ago, but was born, you know, in the uh, fucking thirties. Um, so I have, I have watched a lot of people, personal friends, people that I cared about, people who, who were heroes, people who, you know, uh, were instrumental in my life, who were, were integral, you know, in, in, in who I am. 
I've watched a lot of them go away, especially in the past couple of years. So I can't help but think of, you know, when I turn, when it's my birthday, when I turn 39, I can't help but think of those who are, are gone now. You know, the old, I, I've said this many times, the older I get, the more I have to leave behind. And, and I recognize that. And, and, and maybe the part that, 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 that hurts the most is that a lot of these people, they were needed when they were here. I'm not, I'm not going to say that they weren't, but they're really needed now. People with some fucking sanity. People that still have a brain. People that, that have real stories to tell. They're not. They're not just going on Twitter, right? And saying, oh, hashtag, hashtag Fitspiration, hashtag fire movement, hashtag I don't, whatever. Like I said earlier, no, stop fucking hashtagging and just do it. Live it. Don't hashtag it. I've been terrified about, about this for, for, for years is that I, I picture people in old folks' homes in, in 20 years, you know, my generation or whatever, even, or you're a little younger, 30 years, whatever. And they're going to be like, oh man, you remember that one time on Facebook when I said, and that's what people are going to talk about. Instead of saying, man, remember when we flew that plane right into that hole in Antarctica? <laughs> you know what I mean? if you could even remember, right? Because everything's five minutes, five minutes, five minutes. I mean, there is a lot in that that I think still applies uh, today. You know, in fact, I, I thought, I thought it was almost prescient how Harlan talks about toilet paper. He's like, is it a big deal? If you don't have toilet paper, just grab the Sears catalog, right? And wipe your ass with that. I, th- I thought that was, that was, that was just, just dynamite. But his point about how the television programming, you know, about the shows and everything. And again, apply to just take out the word television, slap in whatever medium you want, how it's just getting people, you know, lower and lower and lower in intellect until it's just turning people's brains into yogurt. Right. And he's like, the more garbage you dump on people, the more people get used to garbage. And when I heard that, when I heard that the other day, because, you know, I knew my birthday was coming. I was thinking of Harlan and everything. Cause I, fuck, I wish he was here, you know? And I, and I heard that and I was like, yeah, I mean, yeah, we have the phrase garbage in garbage out, but we don't really apply it in all the places that are necessary. And I think for Harlan to apply it to entertainment, even not just, not just television shows. He talked about books. He talked about all of it. He was so right. And it was happening then, you know, and, and people to this day, aren't used to hearing the truth. It's amazing when you, if you didn't notice it, go back to that audio, especially when they're bleeping him out a lot, because what you're amazingly, what you're going to hear is that you're going to hear the production crew. That's not Tom. I mean, Tom Snyder's laughing, but there's a bunch of other people laughing. He's not in front of a studio audience. You understand there, there are people, I mean, some, sometimes on the tomorrow show he was, but later on he wouldn't be. The production crew is laughing their asses off at what Harlan is saying, because they haven't heard that kind of truth. And baby, that was 1978. 
They were so joyous to hear somebody finally call bullshit on the whole fucking system. And that's exactly what Harlan was doing the whole time. Man, when he says, when he says, he's like, yeah, people want you. I mean, it's so speaking to today. He's saying how like, oh yeah, everybody just wants you to pledge allegiance to this or that. And he says, and boy, he says, if somebody comes up to me with a gun to my head and says, you know, you either pledge allegiance to the flag or to your work. He says, you can let the country sink to the fucking ground. I pledge allegiance to my work, to my blood, sweat, and tears. Damn right, baby. That's, that's individualism. I mean, Harlan, look, look, not saying, I mean, Harlan was a fucking statist. Like I, I, I can say that about my friend and I know it. Okay. <laughs> but he got it, got the heart of it. And just that, and I loved it when he said, he's like, oh, you know, he's like, you shouldn't even have me up here. You should have Buckminster Fuller up here. And then they get into the conversation around, yeah, but Buckminster Fuller is boring. And, you know, Harlan's like, well, then that's the problem. The problem isn't Buckminster Fuller. The problem isn't that it's boring. The problem is the fucking people whose brains are yogurt. You cannot, and this is another thing too. This is, this is really important. I mean, him him, you know, like uh, he was just, it was so speaking to me because I feel like that's really what I'm doing every week. It's just railing against mediocrity because there aren't enough people that do that anymore. Instead, what do they do? They're on YouTube for five seconds or five minutes or 15 minutes or whatever. And, and, and they're, they're, they're trying to like, and, and just, just like they were talking about where they're trying to boil down these incredibly complex things, or they just, they're, they're paid by whoever to say, Holy shit. Yeah. That new comic book's great, Bill. You know, I, I can't believe we're reading that. Uh, what a wonderful time that we, and, and when it's garbage, right? We should be listening to Buckminster Fuller and this is, this is a, this is the huge issue I want to talk about because, you know, I make user podcast and, and I have a great time doing it. Okay. And I specifically try to get episodes. Like I cut so much out. I try to get episodes down to where they got to be below 30 minutes. Right. And, and part of the reason I did this is because it's like, well, you know, I mean, there's a few different reasons I did the user podcast. One of them is like, yeah, you need, you should get like really, and, and, Part of it was a great recommendation by a listener who I love. He said, you know, have like these 15 minute episodes where you spend 15 minutes describing what's going on. But like Harlan hits at it. Complex. Like he jokes about Buckminster Fuller taking four weeks to explain why, you know, you can't get to A to B in a straight line or something like that. Yeah, that's the thing. The shit is so complex. You can't distill it down, but that's what people want. And they don't understand. No, it takes time. These are really complex ideas. And the fact that we are looking for answers on Twitter, which is only 240 characters a shot. Even if you do a tweet thread, who the hell has the attention span to get through the entire thread? Nobody's willing to take the time. It takes entire books to explain even the simplest concept. What did, what did, what did Carl Sagan say? The, uh, 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 the simplest concept or, or what is it? Uh, something about the number one. Now I can't even remember what the hell it was. But basically that the number one, literally the number one is an elaborate logical underpinning, right? Even that simple concept, what we consider to be so simple is incredibly complex. And we're not willing to take the time. We've got to make everything shorter. Your podcast needs to be shorter. 
Your show needs to be shorter. You got to get their attention in five seconds. We got to get this into smaller clips. People are not going to read. I mean, TLDR is a fucking thing. Why? Why? Because no, just get to the point. So I've, whether or not I know it fits into my preconceived notions of how, of how the world works or what's important in my life, that way I can just move on and go about the business and maybe get a blowjob. No, no TLDR TLDR is, is an admission that you are not willing to challenge your preconceptions. And it's laziness. I listen to that. I mean, it's 38 minutes. I don't know if you realize that that was 38 minutes because it probably went so fast because you're hearing so much brilliance. You're just so fucking engaged. Nobody talks like that anymore. Nobody's willing to do that kind of work anymore. Nobody, nobody even has the mentality anymore to do that shit. What a shame. No wonder we're in the fucking mess we're in. We had messes back then. I mean, I wasn't born in 78, but I know there have been plenty of messes throughout time. But we get into these messes because we don't take the time. So I'll leave you with this. And this is something Harlan would always say. Pay attention. Take the time. Take it slow. Turn off the notifications. Maybe toss your smartphone in a drawer. Lose it for a few days. Walk down the street. Don't even wear a watch. I'm a big fan of watches. Breathe. Don't look at a screen for a little while. Talk to people. Give them a hug. Yeah, I know that's not a that's not a great idea to say during quarantine, right? Social distancing. Yeah. If you know them and you love them, give them a hug. It's all right. And that's what I've got for you in this episode. I'm going to end it with that. Happy birthday to me. What a world that we live in. If you want to listen to more episodes where they're not so ranting and uh, it's more of me for, well, this, this episode is going to go over two hours. Of course, go to sovereigntech.com. Uh, if you want to have conversations and amazingly, this show goes three hours a night, seven days a week. Of course, go to Sovereign Tech Sponsor Free Talk Live at freetalklive.com. I thank them for sponsoring the show and finding value in what I have to share here. I'm really honored by that. Thanks to all the sponsors of Sovereign Tech. And uh, I'll see all of you on the other side. New episode to come out very soon. Thanks for listening to Sovereign Tech. Thank you for listening to Sovereign Tech, an Osiris One production. Now go out there and make some trouble. <laughs>